Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you once again. On this a, a Friday night? Friday night edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. God, that sounds awful. What am I doing here? Why am I even talking to you right now? I should be in bed. I should be doing other things. Ah, it's okay. Thank you for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and thank you for joining us for this, a special Friday night edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Yes, it's very special. It's very special because it's on a night that it's not normally on. So we're calling this the special edition. Except for the fact that it's on a night that it's not normally on, I think you're going to find that it's not really that special at all, to be fair. It's probably going to be pretty much what you've been used to over the last 12 months or so. I don't think we're going to break any new ground here. There's no nudity, for example. Uh, There's no vicious takedowns that I can think of, really. So the special part of this special edition is the fact that I'm on a night that I'm not normally on. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining us. Ducks Regionist says it smells different. You you could be right. could be right. I'm very hungover because (laughs) about, I don't know, I got up about an hour ago and I was definitely regretting promising to do a Friday night show about an hour ago when I woke up because uh, Boogie Bumper is a little bit silly. So... Boogie Bumper thought yesterday. Oh, Joy of Pesci, thank you for joining us. Joy of Pesci, ladies and gentlemen. A a quick plug, if I may. Subscribe to Joy of Pesci on DLive, because let me tell you what I'm going to be doing Saturday night. And this is what you should be doing on Saturday night. Joy of Pesci on DLive, DLive.tv slash Joy of Pesci, is doing a back-to-back, double-up, film festival fucking spectacular a Hulk Hogan movie, ladies and gentlemen. Join Joy of Pessy and the Joy Boys as they get together on Saturday nights and talk all kinds of shit about terrible movies. And you'll have a great laugh, trust me. Subscribe to Joy of Pessy on DLive. Get in on the fun, because that's what I'm going to be doing Saturday night. That's my plan. That's all I've got planned. That's all I've got lined up. What are you doing on Saturday night, honey? Joy of Pessy. But, but, but it's... It's our wedding anniversary. I've made reservations. Sorry, babe. Wish I could help you out. Can I have the phone at the dinner table while we eat dinner? I'll um, invite your wife. If, if, if it's an anniversary or, you know, a loved one, special occasion, something like that, invite them to join Joy of Pessy. Because that's, you can't have Joy of Pessy without joy, right? So do subscribe. Thank you for joining us. Lots to get through tonight. Um, I was regretting doing a Friday night show about an hour ago, but I've done the classic move. I've gone straight to the beer. First thing, first thing in the morning when you wake up, open a beer. The first one is a little tough. It's a little difficult to get through, but I can tell you as I'm now halfway through beer number two, mm, feeling good, damn it. 
Absolute pleasure to be with you. <laughs> so much to get through and so little time. Um, thank you for your patience. I couldn't come on the other day. I had like two hours sleep in four days and I'm, I'm in a similar place right now, but at least I'm not working tonight, so it doesn't matter. We could rock and roll. Um, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, I'm obviously flying out of the gates here. <laughs> Being that I'm doing this on my my regular day off, I'm, I'm obviously going 100 miles an hour, feeling great. Don't worry, I'm sure by the end of the show, everything will fall into place. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head to patreon.com slash boogiebumper, become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to complain about me doing this on a Friday night, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogiebumper. What kind of beer am I drinking? I am drinking a James Squire Tropical Pale Ale. It doesn't taste like coconuts or pineapple or anything like that. They just like to put tropical on there. I definitely won't be getting an endorsement though. Great beer, but... Ah, yeah, so I went to bed late last night, had a few too many red wines, Pinot, sparkling, the whole lot. Uh, I watched a movie last night, actually. Uh, have you seen on Netflix the Adam Sandler movie, uh, Uncut Gems? I was really interested to watch it because uh, I wanted to see Adam Sandler in a serious role. And if you have... If you're somebody who like suffers anxiety or OCD or something like that, I would not recommend that you watch this movie. <laughs> this movie will probably infuriate you if you are a sufferer of one of these conditions, man. It's just fucking tense. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers. You should watch it. You should check it out. It's good, but in a, a weird way. Like it's, I don't think it's memorable, but when you you'll, it's so tense and annoying that you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy the experience. Adam Sandler's character, you hate his character. You know, you know, every other movie that he's in, he's like he's like the nice, quiet, sarcastic, fun kind of guy who everybody else shits on, you know what I mean? Like he's always the hero. He's the down on his luck guy. Hey, well, you know, whatever. I'm just a nice guy. I'm just trying to do what I do. In this movie, he's like a slimy, dewy uh, jeweler who rips everybody off. He he hocks everybody's possessions. He's in gambling debts. It's a fucking great flick. <laughs> and he's a really hateable character in this movie. So you'll love it just for that experience. And there's constantly like, you know, movies like if if one person if in dialogue moments, one person will be talking to another one. You can clearly hear the two people. So much of this movie, the dialogue is taking place over a backdrop of heaps of other people all talking over each other, like in a jewellery store or in a restaurant or in a nightclub. So it's really raw the way that they've put it together, but it's very enjoyable. And you will have anxiety attacks watching it because you'll just be like, oh my God, this fucking guy, I hate this guy. You know, I was watching it with my wife and we would look at each other sometimes and go, what the fuck is he doing? Stop, man. Stop, you asshole! What the fuck is wrong with this guy? So if you like moments like that, you'll enjoy it. So you went to bed a little too late, but we're here. We're rocking and rolling on a Friday night. So thank you so much for joining us. So much to get. Thank you for the diamond, Gypsy. Where did you steal the diamond, Gypsy? Who did you steal the diamond from, Gypsy? I'd like to open up tonight's proceedings with this special little number that I found just a few minutes ago because this is a story that we have been watching. This is a story that has been developing over the last week or two, ladies and gentlemen. 
And as you know, on this program, more important than potentially people contracting deadly viral infections, more important than governments trying to protect the health and well-being of their citizens, more important than those things, I think, is the horrible situation that we find ourselves in right now, which is the un- <laughs> the unnecessary suffering of innocent people due to racism that is being brought out by the existence of this coronavirus. It's a horrible situation. Ring the bell and get your cheese, man. Thank you for the sub, Gypsy. I mean, we're spending a lot of time. Did you see the doctor who discovered the coronavirus a few weeks ago? He passed away this week. And a lot of people are talking about the victims of the coronavirus dying And sure, okay, if you want to make a big thing out of innocent people dying because of a viral infection, then fine, whatever. You know, I guess you're some kind of bleeding heart. But can we actually spare a moment for the real victims of this tragedy? The Asian people who are being treated racistly? Can we spare a thought for the still living victims of this horrible, horrible situation? That's what we do on this show. We pay tribute to the real victims of tragedies. Wuhan coronavirus, ladies and gentlemen, and the racist art of naming a virus. Yes, naming viruses is racist. (laughs) This is fantastic. (laughs) I love this article. Someday I will draw up a visual flowchart to explain how epidemics are named for the public. Specifically, there is a logic employed by both the media and the scientific community. Yes, those evil racist scientists. Uh, Though neither speak it aloud. It's like a hidden racist language. You've heard of dog whistling, right? Now, this is the scientific dog whistle. It starts with the question of where the virus originates. Is it currently spreading in the US or another Western country? If so, give its numerical designation, e.g. H1N1, is the example they provide, or reference the animal in which we think it started, swine flu, mad cow disease. But if it started in a country that Americans have stereotypes towards... Naming it after that region, as with Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, Asian Flu, and now Wuhan Coronavirus, it is a great way to play on xenophobic and racist tropes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I shit you not. If you name a virus after the place from which it came, that is xenophobic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the author continues. That means that white supremacy can be a factor even in the way we name viruses, such as when the language around it, purportedly objective and scientific, stems from a white-centred xenophobic perspective. I'm sorry. I I never get sick of this, you know? I never get sick of this kind of stuff. Does am I the problem here? Like am I the crazy see who's really crazy? Is the person who's saying that naming a virus after the place from where it came calling that, you know, an example of white supremacy? 
are they the crazy one or am I the crazy one because I keep going back for more of this stuff? I, I must have more. I must continue to feed. You know what I mean? Please feed me this shit. I can't get enough. I'm addicted. I'm hooked. Help me. Help me. <laughs> Fears over a possible pandemic over the 2019 NCOV coronavirus tagged by most media outlets including the New York Times as the Wuhan coronavirus has transmogrified into unchecked xenophobia and racism with children being barred from music lessons <laughs> and people running away from any person who looks East Asian. In New York City, there have been several uh, reports of assaults on Asian people, an assailant punching and kicking a woman, calling her a diseased bitch, and Trump-enabled racist. Yes, it's Trump's fault! <laughs> I didn't even read that earlier. I must have missed that. <laughs> Trump-enabled racist in the era of coronavirus. Fucking hell. <laughs> Trump enabled racists atting him on Twitter, suggesting the entire country of China should be nuked. <laughs> Trump's overheated rhetoric. This is a, a fuck. It's turned into it's we're two paragraphs in and it's already turned into a Trump article. Can you believe this shit? It, again, the title of the article, Wuhan Coronavirus and the Racist Art of Naming a Virus. Two paragraphs in, Trump's overheated rhetoric on migrants and people of colour. <laughs> what are you talking about? Do you even know why you're here? We're, sp we're supposed to be discussing the virus. Jesus Christ, man. These people are unhinged. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's give him the better for the doubt. Let's do better. We can do we can do better than this. Come on, we're better than this, guys. <sighs> Again, it's, it's I'm sorry, it's my fault. I'm a little hungover. Mm. Don't mean to be disrespectful. Okay. I should think about your feelings more. Trump's overheated rhetoric on migrants and people of color and shithole countries, as he calls much of the world. <laughs> are absolutely fanning the flames of the racist response to the coronavirus. Yet it is important to recognise that this bias against Asians is nothing new and that the engine of white supremacist culture and language continually hums underground until something like the coronavirus makes it visible. Yeah. Can you imagine all of these... All of these Nazis, all of these white supremacists, all of, all of these evil white supremacists and racists have just been waiting for the outbreak of a deadly virus so they can flaunt their anti-Asian racism openly and without fear of reprisal. It's been a long time coming, boys, but I think we're there. Did you hear? Did you hear? No, I didn't. What's going on? I, somebody over in Asia died. They say that there's a new virus coming out. Yes, finally. They start goose-stepping around on the streets. <laughs> Fuck those new China. Fuck those yellow bastards. <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life for this. Thank God. Thank you, Corona-chan. <laughs> the idea that Asians are dirty, eat strange foods. That's not an idea. <laughs> they do eat strange foods. 
Jesus Christ. Now it's just an idea. The idea that the uh, Asians eat strange foods and are vectors of disease has existed for as long as Asians have been in the US. And these ideas continue to exist today. Yeah, it exists today because of the coronavirus. <laughs> I don't get it. Did white supremacists invent the coronavirus? What the hell are you arguing here? In the 1850s, Chinese immigration was first welcomed because of our growing country's dire need for labour. And the Chinese were admired for their reputation as hard, uncomplaining workers. Yes, they're actually saying in the 1850s there was less racism <laughs> than there is today because of the coronavirus. Because it's named after Wuhan. Therefore, the white supremacists are now out in force. Unlike in the 1850s when everybody just got along swimmingly. Andrew Jackson's taking the chat. Finally, we get to do the racisms. <laughs> I know, you've been waiting a long time, huh? Been waiting on the edge of my seat for this shit. Finally, the, when, I, when I heard the amazing news that they're piling up dozens of body bags in some Chinese town somewhere, I just had to call up mein Führer. My Herr Führer, we're ready to roll. Calls for immigration restrictions began alongside rumours that the Chinese were disease vectors, during an outbreak of smallpox, uh, smallpox in San Francisco in 1876, a population of 30,000 Chinese living there became medical scapegoats. Chinatown was blamed as a, quote, laboratory of infection and quarantined amidst renewed calls to halt immigration. I told you this would happen. I told you a week ago that this is where we would end up. That if you were somebody who had the audacity to point out if you had the audacity to point out objective common sense, that being if there is a particular region on earth, wherever that region is, and people from that region are potentially carrying a deadly virus, then the responsible, logical, adult thing to do is to say to the people of that region, okay, if you're coming from that region, you can't come here. We're not going to take anybody from this part of the world until we sort out this virus thing because we don't want to put our citizens at risk. And I fucking said it, that they are going to call this racism. <laughs> even though we knew this would happen, even though these people are as predictable as Sunrise, a little part of me is still very disappointed that I have to report that it happened exactly the way that we thought it would. You know what I mean? Just once I'd like to be surprised. Just once I'd like to say, you know what? These idiots are going to call this racism, you know, like um, quarantining people because of a, de a deadly disease. They're going to say this is racist. For once, I would like those people to come out and say, don't be ridiculous. We agree with you. I'd say, thank you very much. I'd stop doing the podcast. <laughs> It'd be over then. I'd have nothing to read anymore. But they just keep they keep shoveling us more material. And I, I like I said, I'm hooked. I must go back to the well constantly. <laughs> this is amazing, this stuff to me. Okay, now they talk about the Spaniards. Who cares what happened with the Spaniards in 1880? Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> According to the CDC, Coronaviruses like the West Nile are common in animals and in humans around the world. Don't just blame the humans. The animals have got it too. 
There are seven known human-afflicting coronaviruses that cause mild to lethal symptoms. <laughs> That's quite a window, isn't it? Mild to lethal. You may experience, like, I mean, if you were offered a medication and the doctor said, you may experience some kind of side effect. Oh, really? What? How severe will the side effects be? Well, it can be anywhere from mild to you're fucking dead. It's somewhere in there. Are you going to take that medicine? <laughs> I, I really want specifics if I could. It's fine. You'll either have, you'll either get a runny nose or you'll die in about an hour or two. So, I mean, it's, it should be okay. Okay, bye-bye now. Another zoonotic organism, meaning one that crossed over to humans, is bovine spongiform encephalopathy. <laughs> I, 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 I'm doing the best I can. AKA mad cow disease. Well, that's much easier. A fatal disease that slowly destroys the brain and spinal cord in cattle. A disease mostly created by humans through industrial farming practices. We blame capitalism for that one. Like feeding brain tissue to cows, which are herbivores. There have been cases of humans eating these infected cows and contracting the disease. Yes, but very few compared to this. These cases have occurred almost exclusively among people in the UK or people who once lived there. Yet it's been dubbed mad cow disease. Not at all tagged to the United Kingdom and its people, the common vector. If scientists and the media were consistent, it would be called something like British prion disease. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. This person is really salty that the coronavirus, some people have named the Wuhan coronavirus because it came from Wuhan. And despite the fact that mad cow disease essentially affected cows with a very few cases of said infected cows also infecting humans, they're very salty that mad cow disease was not named after British people. These, these are the big issues going on right now. Like, if you thought most people were concerned with, I don't know, putting food on the table, how am I going to pay the electricity bill? I've got to put fuel in the car. My taxes are too high. How am I going to pay for my kids' college? How are we going to pay for that vacation? Oh, my God, I need a mortgage payment. Oh, no, what if war breaks out? I can't, you know, if you, if you thought people were concerned with any of these things, no, guess again. The real issue, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that the coronavirus is named after a region from where Asian people come, and that's white supremacy. There you have it. Priorities. Wuhan coronavirus and the racist art of naming a virus, ladies and gentlemen. This, like everything else we refer to tonight, will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to the Daily Boogie podcast. I wanted to bring you this. I saw this video uh, flash across my Twitter timeline. I haven't seen the video yet, but I just looked at the description and I thought it's going to be good enough to bring to the show. Quote, a Brisbane mum has been slammed, slammed, lucky girl, huh? <laughs> After revealing online that she doesn't go to bed until the house is clean and wakes up at 4.30am to make her husband breakfast and coffee, what do you think about this? So, I, I, again, the big issues, right? So they obviously want to start a debate about this wife who seems to be a lovely person getting up at 4.30 in the morning to make her husband breakfast and coffee. So they want to have a, a debate about this, I, I guess. Like, should she or should she not do this stuff for her husband? I think 
Let's have a look. I want to take you back to the 1950s, or at least that's what I thought when I read this Brisbane mum's Facebook post. Brooke Smith shared her routine online. Here's what she said. I always make sure I don't go to bed until everyone's lunches are packed, their clothes are set out for the next day, including my husband's, and the house is clean, dishwasher is on, and a load of washing is on. I always get up early, 4.30, with my husband to make his breakfast no. and coffee. Um... Did you hear the groan then? But did you hear the groan coming from a man? <laughs> I heard it. Did you hear it? I'm going to rewind it. I'm pretty sure I heard a man groaning. So there must be a guy on the panel somewhere. Listen to this reaction to what this, it seems, very committed um, and loving wife and mother does for her family. Listen to the reaction from the people on the panel. Early, 4.30, with my husband to make his breakfast no. and... <laughs> if I'm sitting on this panel next to that guy who's making that groaning noise after being read I, from the wife, I get up at 4.30 in the morning to make my husband breakfast and coffee. If the guy sitting next to me does some shit like, I'm going to do that thing where I like fucking punch him in the arm and go, shut the fuck up. What is wrong with you? Why the fuck are you groaning? What are you, an idiot? It's guys like you that fuck it up for everybody else. <laughs> if you just kept quiet, if you just shut your mouth, then, like, it's fine, you know? If the wives are getting up and making breakfast and coffee for the husbands at 4.30 in the morning, why would you be angry at that? Why would you dislike that? Are you fucking insane, man? You know, this is the kind of guy where you can surprise him. You could show up at his house and go, man, guess what? I got two tickets. We're going to the fucking Knicks game. You know what I mean? We are on, we got floor seats, brother. Let's do this. A limousine is picking us up. There's going to be two lingerie models in the limousine and we're going to the Knicks game. And then after that, we're going partying all night with the rich and famous. And he'd be like, oh, are you like, am I going to have to like dress up or something? Am I going to have to put a suit on? Oh, what time are we going to get home? Do I even have to go? Come on, mate. You know what I mean? Well, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and make my husband breakfast and coffee. Oh. <laughs> um... Go, Brooke. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I mean... I this is bizarre to me. Like, first of all, why is it even on television? Is it so spectacular what's taking place here? Like, is this such an, an amazing turn of events? Like, this is so bizarre. This is so wild. This is such a breaking story. We have to bring it to you right now. <laughs> we interrupt our coverage of the deadly coronavirus to bring you the story of an average suburban mother who makes her husband breakfast. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? What is she fucking insane? Oh, <laughs> this is bizarre. I tell you what, though, Chris. I mean, a lot of people um, online are, are saying, "Well done," are praising her.
there is a complete lack of self-reflection here. Because they're, the, they're on TV, right? They are in the media bubble. They are so much in their own universe that not only are they mocking and groaning the idea that this mother, you know, does laundry and makes breakfast for her husband, like, oh, <laughs> it's the 1950s, am I right, huh? What kind of backwards fucking retard is this chick anyway? But then they actually say, you know, it's the wildest thing. There's people online who actually think this is good. <laughs> How detached are these people? <laughs> you know, I was I was looking at this woman who makes breakfast and coffee for her husband at 4.30 in the morning, and I couldn't believe it. I went online, and I discovered that there are a whole bunch of people who don't have any problem with this at all. Has the world gone topsy-turvy? <laughs> Like, we're living in upside-down, backwards land. Everything is an inversion of itself. Everything is a satire of itself now. Like, I feel like I'm living in a meme. Don't you? A loving wife and mother does laundry, makes her husband breakfast. Not only is this reported on national TV as some kind of fucking you know, anomalous event. But the reporting is coupled with the fact that the disbelief from the host that people actually agree with this. <laughs> We're living in a meme. Who? Who are these people? <laughs> who are these people who think this is a good idea? What the hell is wrong with them? Oh, has he hypnotised her or something? Who does this stuff? My Who does this stuff? Well, obviously not your bitch of a wife by the sounds of it, if you have one. Who does this kind of stuff? Um, nice people? <laughs> nice, loving people? Committed mothers and wives, maybe? Who on earth would make breakfast for anybody? <laughs> Like again, like what am I missing here? Uh, are you are you picking up what I'm putting down, huh? What am I missing? I, <laughs> Has he hypnotised her or something? Who does this stuff? <laughs> Making his breakfast and then putting his clothes out of a night—is he disabled or something? Like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Wait, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. <laughs> wait, you're so woke that you're now calling the guy fucking disabled because his wife makes him breakfast? These are very sick people, ladies and gentlemen. These are these are very strange, sad, bitter and twisted individuals, I think. And, you know, like the laughing, like the, the kind of the mockery and the like, oh, it's so ridiculous. What, is he hypnotised her? Is he disabled? <laughs> I think that's a cover, you know? I think, that's a, I think that's a mask. I think that's a wall that they put up. 
Because if this is makes you uncomfortable, the idea that a woman would make her husband breakfast, you know, make coffee for him at 4.30 in the morning, if this is like strange and weird to you and it makes you uncomfortable to the point where you have to accuse him of being disabled for living with a wife who would make him breakfast, I'm still fucking amazed. But if that's your reaction, then I think, you know, <clears throat> I think that's coming from somewhere else, don't you? We at least have to put that on the table. That deep down inside, this is a very, like I said, sad, embittered, bitter and twisted individual who probably realises that deep down, nobody would ever do that for you, you disgusting piece of human shit. You know what I mean? He knows he's a piece of human shit. He knows that he's a disgusting individual. He knows that he's a bitter and twisted creep that nobody could love. And, you know, instead of, like, recognising that and working on himself, when he sees a story which has a wife and mother getting up at 4.30 in the morning and making breakfast for her husband because she loves him, obviously, instead of seeing that and going, wow, isn't that nice? What a great girl. Which is, And that's where it would end for most people. Instead of seeing that, oh, this is fucking crazy. What is she, is she hypnotized? Is he disabled? This is disgusting. Why would anybody do this? Do you think I'm on the right track here? I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. And the laughing and the jovial, <laughs> to me, that's just a cover. Because they know deep down they're a piece of shit that nobody could love. <laughs> so this is how they act out, right? Irrational Times in the chat, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to Irrational Times on YouTube, please do so. Irrational Times made a little clip of yours truly and sent it to me where I'm saying that I love to offend my audience. <laughs> so he's going to play the clip on his show. So thank you. I, I love it. I loved it, by the way. I thought it was great. So thank you very much, Irrational Times. Uh, Irrational Times has a great show. Uh, he's a music guy. He's into music, does some trivia. It's just nice, chill streams, you know, nothing nothing too heady. Um, you know, you won't have to get into the important topics like should these enslaved whores make breakfast for their disgusting hypnotic husbands, you know what I mean? You won't have to worry about that kind of shit. <laughs> Subscribe to Irrational Times on YouTube. Get a grip. Get off your bum and do stuff yourself. My only theory is that she might actually like her husband and she might actually like to get up at 4.30 and spend yeah. some time. <laughs> wow. Imagine, imagine us living here in this time and age where one person on the panel has, well, you know, if I could just bring up another theory, maybe she likes her husband and wants to spend time with him when he gets up for work in the morning. <laughs> Listen to this crazy chick. Listen to this crazy conspiracy theory. She thinks she thinks the woman actually loves her husband, which is why she's making him breakfast. No, I'm sticking with my idea. I think that he's a lazy, disabled piece of garbage and he's hypnotized her. I'm, I'm going with that story instead. Me. I like my husband, but make your own bloody breakfast <laughs> yeah. and coffee. I mean, you know. <laughs> the amazing thing. I mean, you know. Can't argue with that. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. I love my husband too, all right? But I mean, 
make your own coffee, you know? Well, she's got me. She's got me there. Can't argue with that. Excellent argument. <laughs> Apparently this couple run an MMA fighting gym. Oh, like mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts and they also breed bulldogs, so they can do whatever they want. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not arguing. Yeah. Hey, you know what, if it makes her happy... All of a sudden, the guy on the panel stopped talking shit, didn't he? <laughs> oh, wait. She could probably beat the shit out of me. Ah. But, I mean, nothing in that list of things there, you know. And she's Blood got me. four children under the age of six. But did you see her photo? She sounds like a fucking superwoman, if you ask me. She's got four kids under the age of six. She, get, she does all the housework. She gets up at 4.30 in the morning and makes fucking breakfast and coffee for her husband. She sounds like Supermum. <laughs> what a strange, bizarre, disgusting set of circumstances. What's wrong with her? Is she living in the 1950s? Why don't you tell your husband to make his own goddamn breakfast like us cool people? Like us cool television personalities who are probably masking a whole litany of <laughs> private emotional problems lurching from one relationship to the next, never being fulfilled because we know deep down nobody could ever fall in love with our disgusting, ugly souls. Maybe. I don't know. I think that's just, I think that's just as possible as he's hypnotised her. Just putting that out there. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. How about that, huh? Traditional wife. There's something wrong with her. Um, you, you remember the other day we spoke about Iowa? Do you remember Iowa? Right? They couldn't, they couldn't figure out the count. They didn't know who was getting delegates. They didn't know who was in front. Apparently, they're still not quite sure, which is amazing. I'm talking about the Democratic caucuses in Iowa, of course. Well, I am pleased to report, ladies and gentlemen, that NBC News have done a little bit of undercover journalism. They've decided to do a deep dive to find the real cause of what happened in Iowa. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised when you find out just exactly who was to blame for the debacle in Iowa. Let's let's start with this. Who's not to blame? Obviously, it's the Democrats, right? They obviously had no part in this. Just because it was their event with their app and their delegates and their officials running their event, them doing the count for their candidates, that doesn't mean it has anything to do with them. Let's be honest here. So NBC News has uncovered the real cause of what took place in Iowa, ladies and gentlemen. So we have some brand new reporting we're scooping right here on NBC scooping. News about what went it. wrong in Iowa and why 100% of those caucus results still are not in. Here's the deal. We're learning more about why the phone lines used to report results were flooded Monday night. It wasn't just caucus organizers. The Iowa Democratic Party tells us there were also a bunch of Trump supporters apparently calling in, jamming things up, with at times some hostile calls. So where might those supporters have gotten the idea or even the number itself? <laughs> NBC is first to report this. Apparently from one of the most extreme far-right message boards on the go. internet. Here one we've talked about a lot on... Here we go! <laughs> I'm so excited! <laughs> I can't wait! <laughs> Hello? Uh, wait a minute. Okay. Trolls, yes. Extreme far-right, yes, yes. Message board, oh my god, yes! <laughs> Say it! Say it <laughs> on this show called 4chan. Hey! <laughs> I 
I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky kids. 4chan did it. <laughs> Space Force droid in the chat. I know nothing. <laughs> 4chan again. 4chan strikes again. Oh. <laughs> We're also uh, learning the app used to submit results was not fully tested beforehand in the rollout. That's also 4chan's fault. <laughs> Andrew Jackson's take the chat. Hell yes! I've been rushed. Let's get into this with NBC News senior business reporter Ben Popkin, who is here, along with NBC's Ben Collins. Uh, both of our... The, Benny, the Bens will get to the bottom of this. <laughs> Bens, thank you for being with us. And Ben Collins, I'm going to start with you because you are just out literally in the last 15 minutes. Literally. It was literally 4chan, guys. Come on. Breaking this over on NBC News. I, I'm, fuck, I'm I'm buzzing. I can't stop tapping my feet. This is fucking, this is amazing. This reporting that Trump supporters on on this, these 4chan sites were told to clog the lines, basically. What's oh. up? Yeah, so there was these posts that came out at like 10 o'clock, came, roughly. Came out. Uh, on Monday night that said, here's a phone number, clog the lines. Just stay on these lines. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh. Oh, did we get too excited too soon? Did I jump the gun? Did he just say eight o'clock at night? Did he just say a, f a post was made about eight o'clock at night saying, here's the phone number, clog the lines? Is this all the evidence that they actually have <laughs> that somebody posted something on 4chan? <laughs> Is this all they have? Damn it. I, I would really like to think that this is what happened, but. By eight o'clock at night, we know, we know by eight o'clock at night, um, everybody kind of knew that there was already problems at that point, right? Everybody knew that there was already a shit show taking place. Are they really talking about one post on 4chan that said, here's the number, let's clog it up. This is apparently like, <laughs> this is apparently what happened. An anonymous post on a 4chan board, because as we all know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, nobody who is, I don't know, against the kind of ideas that are on 4chan, right? I, well, it's not even 4chan. It's just one part of 4chan. There's a whole range of different forums on 4chan. So obviously somebody who, if you're the kind of person that likes to blame 4chan for everything, you would never, ever go to 4chan yourself and post anonymously under, I don't know, impersonating somebody who uses a particular board on 4chan. Like that would never happen, right? Am I right, guys? Nobody would ever do something like that. Never, ever. <laughs> like, nobody from the mainstream press would ever log on to 4chan and then... I'm sorry, I've just got to... Look at the, look at this Twitch thing here. Want to become famous? Question mark. <laughs> Buy followers, primes, and viewers on follow followinbot.com. <laughs> Because nobody ever watches on Twitch. So now I've got a Twitch bot for some reason in my chat on Twitch asking me if I'm telling, trying to sell me followers. <laughs> this is like the equivalent of fucking knocking on my front door and trying to sell me a Bible. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what is this? What is this normally what happens on a Friday night on the internet? What the hell is going on? Why am I here? So yeah. 
People from the corporate press would never, ever log on to 4chan and pretend to be a 4chan user for the purpose of smearing 4chan, right? That would never happen, right? Never, ever. Bocker Bradley, thank you for joining us. Another, uh, Someone else who streams on DLive, subscribe to Bocker Bradley. Uh, he says, Bernie bros are on 4chan. No, that's a lie and you know it. What are you, some kind of Nazi? Are you trying to smear the Bernie bros, Bocker Bradley? Mm. <laughs> are, you de- are you denying this evidence that 4chan caused the Iowa caucus to f- collapse in on itself? Are you denying this fact, sir? Sir? On Monday night that said, here's a phone number, clog the lines, just stay on these lines. And, and it was know, the number. It was the number for the, the people who were supposed to be calling in to report caucus results. That's exactly right. And here's the deal. Like, it's easy to blame 4chan for this, but 4chan is going to 4chan, right? They left a... <laughs> I love it when corporate media people try to do cool things, you know what I mean? Hey, 4chan's going to 4chan. <laughs> He's so young and hip. Door. This is like a saloon door of bad uh, cybersecurity. Just like it was wide open. So... People uh, kept calling this number, and at least that's what they claim on 4chan, but now... So they don't know. They've, they've got no fucking idea. But see, he had to catch himself, because they, they're so used to just saying whatever the fuck they want. Which is fine by me. You can say whatever the fuck you want. But I wouldn't mind so much if they didn't then turn around to everybody else and say, well, you can't say whatever the fuck you want, because that's exactly what takes place here, right? So he just openly says, so they started calling up, but then his brain kicks in because it, it's it's operating like a few seconds behind his mouth. His brain kicks in and goes, oh, wait, actually, I don't know if anybody called up as a result of this 4chan post. What the hell am I talking about? Reverse, reverse, abort. So somebody posted on 4chan, like, this is the number, and then all of these people started calling up. I mean, at least that's what they're saying on 4chan. <laughs> See, at that point, the host should jump in and say, hang on, didn't you just say a few seconds ago that 4chan is going to 4chan? Uh, yeah, yeah. So were they calling up or not? Well, that's obviously they're claiming that's what they're saying, like on the board sort of somewhere, <laughs> based on this one post that had the phone number. Now we have evidence from the party itself that said, look, uh, look, you know. Evidence from the party. And if you can trust anybody. <laughs> If you can trust anybody to get to the bottom of why the DNC system crashed at the Iowa caucus, it's obviously the DNC themselves, right? The DNC has no interest in, I don't know, unfairly blaming somebody else for their own fuck-up. Like, that would never take place. The DNC would take ownership of the problem. Of course they would. (laughs) Trump supporters were calling. People were calling. just Trump supporters. (laughs) Hanging up. I can't fucking, I can't do this. I can't fucking do this shit anymore. This is nuts. They, they don't even realise how fucking crazy they look when they do this shit. They have no idea. <laughs> Fuck. Well, there was a post on 4chan and, uh, like, we spoke to somebody at the DNC and they said that there was a whole bunch of Trump supporters calling up and saying, like, they, some of them were even saying mean things, you know. And I mean, you know, like there was this post on 4chan and people were calling from 4chan. Thank you for the diamond, UK Neil. And people were calling up from 4chan. Well, at least that's what the 4chans were saying on 4chan. But they, I don't know. <laughs> this is the real news. This is where you go to get the facts. 
These resembled like prank calls, basically. Uh, we're not sure if the idea started on 4chan, but it <laughs> Thank you for the diamond, Rat Hunter. Did you hear that last? <laughs> we're, ne we're now nearly two minutes into this clip, okay? The clip has been presented, 4chan crashed the Iowa caucus. The evidence for this argument that 4chan crashed the Iowa caucus, ladies and gentlemen, is apparently, and they haven't shown the post either, one post on 4chan at 8 o'clock at night putting the phone number for, you know, the DNC. And they're like, hey, ring this, let's clog up, our, clog up their lines. They have no evidence that anybody actually rang as a result of this, except for apparently some unnamed source at the DNC who said, we had some Trump supporters making prank calls, okay? And so this is the argument that's being presented. We now come full circle. We come right back around to the beginning again. And the guy who's making this case, who's literally trying to make the case that 4chan caused this, now says, we have no evidence to suggest that this idea started on 4chan. Fucking why even bother? <laughs> why even? Like, they should just pack up now. MSNBC should just close the studio down. What, what are we doing here? We, we've got a... This is a six-minute video. We're doing a six-minute segment on why 4chan caused the Iowa caucus to crash. We have no evidence to suggest that the idea started on 4chan. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Thank you for coming. Fucking hell. <laughs> These resembled like prank calls, basically. Uh, we're not sure if the idea started on 4chan, but it was definitely there on Monday night. There are posts to prove it. And uh, we've, we've backed it up with a lot of reporting. We should know. We've backed it up with a lot of reporting. Notice he didn't say evidence. <laughs> we've backed that up by saying uh, that 4chan caused the crash over and over and over again. That's what you, that's what you say. When you say we backed it up with a lot of reporting, that's what he means. We've been saying that 4chan did this for at least 48 hours now, so we can back it up with a lot of reporting. He didn't say that we can back it up with a lot of evidence, <laughs> because clearly he doesn't fucking have any, <laughs> except for one post on 4chan. <laughs> oh God, I love these people. So much. You know what? Like we talk about, we talk about this often, like. And it's not just on this program. It's a lot of the. It's a lot of these these kinds of podcasts, right? These kinds of live streams. A lot of us, like from time to time, will take a hatchet to bad media reporting. A lot of us, from time to time, will you know focus our sights on the corporate press. I'm like, what the hell are these people doing? You know. And all of us, like we we get frustrated, we get bemused, we get amused, we laugh, we cry. It's a whole spectrum of emotions with these people, with these psychopaths. And we say things like, oh, the corporate media has to go away. We have to do away with the corporate media. They're awful. They're terrible. They don't know what they're doing. But you know what? Deep down, do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? It's like a Batman and Joker situation, isn't it? It's like Joker saying to Batman, what would you do without me? You need me. I, I define you. I like, I make you what you are. <laughs> So I don't really know if I could live without these terrible people. I don't know if I could live without them. I, I kind of need them in my life. 
like if they weren't there if we didn't have a Loch Ness monster to hunt then it, we just end up being a bunch of drunken Scotsmen swimming in a cold lake and that's not fun at all nobody wants that we kind of need these people around without them without their fine shining example of what terrible journalism is <clears throat> where would we go who would we be how would we define ourselves can't live without them I think it's a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> I'd hate to see them go. I want to check in if we can, <clears throat> just quickly. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm working through too many cigarettes last night. This is the, see, this is a problem. You stay up a little late, you have a couple of extra glasses of red wine, maybe an extra bottle or two. Who's counting, right? And if it's it's not necessarily the wine that gets you, it's the extra cigarettes that you smoke. I maybe smoke like one or two cigarettes a day, if that, right? A packet will last me over a week. But, you know, you have a few glasses of red wine, next thing you know, you're puffing away like a steam train. And you wake up the next day and it's like you're all dried out. And I'm trying to chase it away with beer, but it doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be working. But I'm having fun anyway. Thank you for joining us. You're on the Daily Boogie Friday night, special Friday night. We're on a night that we're not normally on edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Uh, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, ladies and gentlemen, much to the dismay of large sections of my mega uh, audience members, <laughs> much to the shock and horror of many uh, a Donald Trump supporter who listens to this program, we did what I thought was the honourable thing, the correct thing, the logical thing, uh, the right thing to do. Uh, this show officially endorsed John McAfee for President of the United States in 2020. And I have no regrets whatsoever. <clears throat> I think it was absolutely the best move. And John McAfee, as myself being, you know, a, a dispassionate uh, objective viewer from the outside looking in, I can think of nobody more qualified to lead the free world and the, the most powerful country in the free world to new heights of greatness than John McAfee. So from time to time, we like to check in on John and see what he's doing on the campaign trail. He released this video yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, so I just want to catch you up with what's happening on Starship McAfee. <laughs> very melancholy isn't he you know i think we see the john mcafee that we like to see the john mcafee that i like to see anyway and that is the john mcafee who is um you know collapsing off stripper podiums with his shirt off uh the john mcafee who's doing cocaine uh the john mcafee who's uh banging hookers in on every continent on planet earth the John McAfee who puts out a video talking about gun safety and likens dry firing an AK-47 to, quote, dry fucking a tight asshole without lube. So that's the John McAfee that I know and love. 
And when I saw this, like, we're seeing a different side of John, aren't we? It's like, actually, you know what? This fucking guy's got layers, man. This guy is complicated. This guy is, uh, you know, he's an emotional guy. He's a sensitive guy. He has a soul. It's not just about show. It's not just doing lines of blow off a stripper's ass. You know, it's not just about throwing up into various toilets. It's not just about talking about having sex with whales and trying to legalize it. There's an there's a whole nother there's a whole nother side of John that we haven't seen yet. And like little things like this, little insights, if you will, show the kind of sensitive old soul that we have here. And I think it's just more evidence why he should be running the most powerful country on earth, in my my legitimate opinion. of Pessy in the chat. A quieter John McAfee, John D. Caffey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A less intense John McAfee. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you're somebody who enjoys bad puns on this program, you will go straight to the top of the class. You will be the teacher's pet. <laughs> Ocean Nathan in the chat asks, McAfee midlife crisis or just boring? I don't know how the hell you came up with the idea that he was boring, so let's take that off the table. Uh, midlife crisis, maybe. I hope so, because that would mean that he's going to live to the ripe old age of 148. <laughs> so let's let's all fucking hope and pray that it is a midlife crisis for John, because another 70 years or so of his you know, whimsical nature and his regaling us with his wisdom and insight, I think we could all use. Like, I'm not going to say no to that. Oh, yeah, he's feeling it. He's feeling it. Let the music flow through you, John. The eye, See the move with the eyes closed? Oh. You know, he's not even looking at the keys. He's, he's so fucking talented. It's dark, isn't it? It's dark, but it's not scary. You know what I mean? It's like, um, it, it, it's, it sounds to me like an innocent child wandering in a dark woods at midnight. You're not afraid, but you are uneasy. <laughs> Follow like you in the chat says, I love his intensity. Yes, that's what it is. He's a very intense man, a passionate man. I just feel like if more people could see this side of John, then he would be doing far better in the polls.
ladies and gentlemen, hopefully, God willing, the future president of the United States of America, the one, the only, the passionate, the deep, the layered, the complicated, John McAfee. A real human being for a real cause. McAfee 2020. McAfee America great again, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely sensational. So then... Let me show you. So if you th- you know what, you might be, you might not be a believer. You might be one of these people out there. I know there are these people out there who say things like, uh, you know, I, trust me, I didn't believe it either until I met these crazy, sick individuals. There are crazy, sick, demented people out there who would suggest, but Boogie, John McAfee can never be president. <laughs> I know, right? These people are really, really strange, bitter and twisted souls. So there are people out there who don't think, who don't see the beauty in this. There are people out there that have the audacity to say that this is not presidential. Let me give you the flip side. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. This was a campaign commercial that Michael Bloomberg released during the week. I want I want you to put this up against John McAfee playing the piano and tell me legitimately what you think the more realistic professional campaign commercial is, okay? See, he's got a piano too, right? So that's the first thing. So he's stealing ideas from John McAfee. That's the first thing that we can point out, obviously. He's got a piano as well. He ain't special. You got a piano too, Mike. New Yorkers know Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg is the man to lead us. He will create more jobs. Mike's not afraid of the NRA, not one bit. (laughs) Now, if you're listening to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you can't see what's on the screen right now. So allow me to uh, paint you a picture. What we are watching here on the screen is a bunch of dogs... I'm not talking like this is not a derogatory term towards human beings. We're talking about dogs on leashes in a dog park uh, being held up to the camera and kind of shaken by the owner so their lips move. (laughs) And then a childish voiceover is layered on top of this footage and then the, the magic of television creates the illusion that the dogs are talking to us and the dogs want to vote for Michael Bloomberg. You mean they're not really talking books? Yeah, I know, right? Special effects. Not no no expense spared for Michael Bloomberg, the multi-billionaire, to come up with this kind of wizardry on screen. Mike Bloomberg is the man to lead us. He will create more jobs. Mike's not afraid of the NRA, not one bit. Trust me, Mike will get it done. Yeah. <laughs> get it done. Yes. He does not tweet. Why is, why is that British bitch talking about it anyway? Why is that foreign British bitch talking about Michael Bloomberg getting it done? <laughs> well, she is a bitch, right? Technically. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Like I said, I had a late night. Give me a break, would you? Come on, nobody's fucking perfect. Do you think that every time you listen to this podcast, it's going to be worth listening to? Do you think every time you show up here, it's going to be good? You're the idiot, not me. <laughs> Why am I yelling at you now? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just lashing out. <laughs> Have another beer. Thank you. I'd love to. Mm, honey, honey, can you get me a beer? Can you get me a fucking beer, please? Thank you. 
It's my husband that I live with bringing me a fucking beer. Yeah. <laughs> Get it done. Yes. He does not tweet. Oh. I like Mike. I like Mike. I lick Mike. I lick Mike. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bloomberg for president. Apparently. Allegedly. <laughs> All right. Uh, as you know, Donald Trump isn't the only person. I'm, I'm going to get off the election shit soon. I'm going to get off the, the Trump shit. <clears throat> I've just got one more thing to show you, which I thought was very a, a lot of fun. Do you remember late last year when we brought the story to the show of uh, the challenger for Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, the guy that Donald Trump was going to have to overcome and launched on probably the most confusing presidential platform of all time, Joe Walsh. Do you remember? We covered this. And basically, Joe's, if I'm remembering it correctly, Joe's premise, Joe's argument for saying that Americans should vote for him instead of Donald Trump in the Republican primary, like in the Republican nomination for president, he said, you should vote for him because there really is a swamp and he's the guy to get rid of it. But if he gets in, he's going to work with all the people, which is something that Donald Trump can't do, essentially. So Donald Trump shouldn't be president because he won't work with the Republican Party establishment. I'm Joe Walsh. I will work with the Republican Party establishment to get rid of the Republican Party establishment. It was it was very it was very confusing, very inverted this platform. So uh, I was very unsurprised to see that Joe Walsh. Like, let me just bring up the Iowa <laughs> the Iowa results for the Republican Party. Let me show you. So with thirty one thousand four hundred and sixty four votes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the current president, Donald J. Trump, he got 97.1% of the vote. Coming in second place, Bill Weld with 426. Yes, <laughs> 426. Uh, he got 1.3% of the vote. And in a very respectable third place, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Walsh, the heroic Joe Walsh. With 348 votes, 1.1%. No, no, not, not, no, no, not 300,000, not 3,000, three. It's like that, it's like that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory moment, isn't it? 200 bars. No, sir, just two. Just two? Two votes? So Joe Walsh was obviously very disappointed that the party didn't agree with him uh, that he's the guy to drain the swamp by working with the establishment because Donald Trump refuses to do so. He decided to announce that he is unfortunately, I'm sad to say, dropping out of the race for the 2020 presidential uh, domination for the Republican Party based on this one result, which if you ask me, he's a quitter. And I thought, we were, I thought he wouldn't be a quitter. After getting a, a, like, you know, a rather sterling effort of 1.1%, represented by 348 votes up against the 31,500 of Donald Trump. Hey, you're on your way. At least you didn't get zero, right? Joe Walsh really needed a friend, I think, just to sit him down and say, Joe, it's not all over. You've still got a chance here, pal. Just stay in the game. You never know what would happen. But anyway, he decided not to. He decided to cut and run. And he made this announcement, this heartbreaking announcement. So many people had their hopes pinned on this guy, at least, 300, at least 348. He decided to go on CNN 
to make this announcement that he's in fact dropping out of the 2020 presidential candidate race. Questions remain this morning about who won the Democratic caucuses in Iowa. The yeah. Questions remain about who won it, but we know who caused the fuck up, don't we? Yes, it was some guy named Chan. There's, I think there's four of them. They're on some internet site for extreme right-wing trolls. I think that's what caused it. I saw a post. They were calling up like prank calls, apparently. Republican side was much more clear. President Trump cruised to victory with 97% of the vote. Joining me now is former Republican congressman and presidential candidate Joe Walsh. You saw there received about 1% of the vote in Iowa. Congressman, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining us. You have something to say this morning. Yeah, John, good to be with you. I am in. I just think it's beautiful. Like it, Sometimes the universe just works out the way it's supposed to. So the guy that nobody wants got no vo- nobody to vote for him. He then goes on the network that nobody watches to announce that he's no longer running for president and nobody cares. Every, everything works out the way it's supposed to sometimes. You know what I mean? Ending my candidacy Aww. for president of the United States. Ah. 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 Oh, Joe, no. Oh, no. You're not ending it, are you? Joe, you're not quitting, are you? Oh, no. No. It's... Look, I got into this because I thought it was really important that there was a Republican, a Republican out there every day calling out this president for how unfit he is. And and you were the man to do it, Joe, weren't you? I want to stop Trump. I Mm. believe he's a threat to this country. Mm. He can't be stopped within the Republican Party. Nobody can beat him. It's Trump's party, John. It's not a party. It's a cult. (laughs) He can't be beat in the Republican primary, so there's no reason for me or any candidate, really, to be in there. The party... Oh, good. I can, I can, I can hear John, I can hear Donald Trump supporters in the chat going. We tried to tell you this. We tried to tell you that you've got no fucking chance, Joe, but you wouldn't listen. He has become a cult. You Good. thought there was some kind of an opportunity where you could convince Republicans in these states. What changed? I, I didn't see how cult-like the party was. <laughs> I mean, ten. <laughs> Ten states around the country canceled their primaries and caucuses. The state parties are... But the, again, right, okay, look, he might have a point, okay? Let's just say it is a cult. Let's just say that it's a cult, okay? It's no longer a party, it's a cult. <laughs> but, Joe, doesn't that mean then, like, if I'm trying to get people to vote for me, if I'm trying to get people to see some kind of obvious truth, right? How do I go about that? Do I blame them for not voting for me? Like, do I do I say the problem is, like, do you see the lack of respect he gives people, right? It's Donald Trump's fault that 97% of the Republican movement, for want of a better word, He's essentially arguing that everyone has been brainwashed. Like, nobody is making these decisions on their own. Like, nobody is using their own discernment to say, you know what, if I weigh up everything, if I weigh up all the options, then I'm voting for this guy because of this. Like, I can see, to be fair, I can see a lot of, like, fucking SJW tendencies creeping in 
to people who call themselves like MAGA and Trump supporters. Some people are just SJWs in red hats. And if you don't believe me, there are plenty of people out there who are like, yeah, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. But as soon as you disagree with them, then you're, you're basically a Democrat at that point, which is the exact thing that far left people do. It's the exact thing that they do. Like you, you're an SJW as long as you go along with the doctrine. And the first time you say something like, well, you know what? Um, I don't think that I, don't, I really don't think that we should kill all the white people. That's isn't that kind of racist? Then guess what? You're out of the club. You're out. There's a similar thing happening on the other side. It might not be as prevalent as the SJWs are, but it's there. And there's a similar thing. Like if you disagree with one thing or if you disagree with some opinion, guess what? Fuck it. Let's chase him into the cornfield. So I get it, right? But to suggest that 97% or thereabouts of this Republican Party entity is somehow brainwashed or just is like cult-like and they have, no, they have not employed any kind of thought for themselves whatsoever. <laughs> That's not necessarily going to be a very successful tactic when it comes to people trying to get people to vote for you. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that's going to work. Are beholden to Trump. The conservative media world, Fox News and all the rest, wouldn't give me the time of day. I'm a Republican candidate for Congress, for, for president. But they bow down in front of their king. And then out there every day, John, talking to Republican voters, I just became convinced that these folks have been fed nothing but lies Here and myths, truths about go. President Trump, and they can't be gotten back. So the guy who wants to rescue the Republican Party, he wants to save the Republican Party from Donald Trump, right? He, he, he thinks this is like some kind of righteous mission. Okay, fine. If he believes that... Let's just say that he genuinely believes it, okay? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he genuinely wants to save the Republican Party. <laughs> in the very same breath, in the very next sentence, he says, yes, but all of the Republican voters that I spoke to are essentially brainwashed and full of lies and they, we have to forget about them. They're dead to me. <laughs> so what the fuck exactly is he saving? What is he rescuing? It's like, it's like a fireman turning up to a burning house, seeing the children in the house screaming, save me, save me, save me, and then turning around to the, the people on the street going, well, the house has already started burning. I guess it's too late. There's nothing I can do for them. And they're like, no, you're you, didn't you say you're here to save the children? That Go in and save them. It's like, no, no, the house is already on fire. What the hell do you want me to do? <laughs> so we're very sad to see him go, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Walsh, thanks for the memories, Joe. Thanks for the memories. Uh, Skull Ram in the chat. So average Joe cannot admit he is just average Joe. <laughs> Lovely. Um, I thought this was nice and bitchy. <laughs> one of my favourites from CNN, as you know, long-time listeners to this show will know, uh, one of our favourites here on the Daily Boogie, the lovely, the enchanting, the enduring, the evergreen Brooke Baldwin, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, she got pretty salty that Rush Limbaugh was given a medal. Yeah, I, I get it. Like, we did a live stream of the State of the Union address. And, you know, in my opinion, it, these days, like these medals of freedom, it, it's like they're being handed out like prizes in cereal boxes. Like everybody's getting one. You know what I mean? 
And it's not about rush. Like I don't, I don't care who's getting it. I, it, it I, I feel like every few weeks I read somebody else is getting some kind of fucking medal. So I don't think that they mean much anymore. You know, you don't have to agree with me. You can say that's all. That's awful. That's a horrible thing to say. Fine, it's just my opinion. So go fuck yourself. Right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, I, I don't like or dislike Rush Limbaugh. I have. I'm indifferent to him. Like I never listened to him really. I knew. I know who he is, and I know he was famous, and I know he was huge. Uh, his show was syndicated in Australia at one point, like in the late '90s, early 2000s. That's how big the guy was. I just never got into him. Nothing against him, though. I don't really care. He can say what he wants. But this, so, you know, people are getting medals. Rush got one. He's got cancer. Okay, big fucking deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Brooke did not think that this was a, this, Brooke did not take the attitude, big fucking deal, who cares? Uh, Brooke was very upset. She was, she, I think she felt slighted. She felt personally offended against that Rush Limbaugh got this fucking medal. And she used her show, her platform to show the world just how fucking salty she is about it. So let's have a look. It is not often that Mother Teresa and Rush Limbaugh are mentioned in the same news story, but it is 2020, <laughs> so here we, we go. President sparking backlash by awarding the controversial radio host backlash. with the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. <laughs> the president sparking backlash. Handing this, handing this asshole the highest civilian honor. <laughs> Again, normally they wouldn't care either. Normally, they wouldn't care who gets these fucking medals, right? Normally, it would be people like CNN who would be saying, well, who really cares about the presidential medal anymore anyway? Any, everybody's getting one. But it's because this time, like it's Rush Limbaugh, right? Obviously, mortal enemy to the likes of CNN. They, the thing you have to understand about like uh, lefty uh, media types is they hate talk radio. Talk radio is like a conservative bastion. You know what I mean? If if the liberal bleeding hearts, you know, for want of a better term, own the corporate media, ex with the exception, of course, of, say, Fox News, for example. But CNN, MSNBC, most of the um, major media outlets are dominated by people who think, you know, who fall more on the side of liberal rather than conservative. And I'm, you know, because I'm going to get people come in and say, oh, it's the fucking mass media conspiracy again. I don't even think it is a conspiracy. I think it's just a function of how you get those jobs, right? Like, if you want to be a journalist, if you want to be in media, then you're probably going to go to like a liberal arts college or you're going to do a degree in journalism or communications and stuff. Those degrees tend to be dominated by young liberals. It's just because they want to go into those areas. Um, you know, the people who do the hiring probably had the same professor. Then the professor might be a liberal. So the people, you know, get their degree and then they go and work for another liberal. They work themselves up the ranks. The boss in the newsroom <clears throat> will call his old professor and ask him for an intern, right? Who's the best intern you got? And the professor, of course, is going to choose somebody who has the highest marks, who has the highest aptitude. Your marks in college in stuff like journalism and creative writing aren't necessarily an indicator of your skill. Your marks are an indicator of what your professor thinks of your skill, right? So if you are more in line with the person marking the test, if you're more in line with their sensibilities, then you're going to score higher than if you're not in line with their sensibilities. It's just, an, it's just human nature. So that's why I think 
these media outlets are dominated by liberals because that's just they're the people that go into those degrees. They're the people who get hired, right? If you're a conservative and you're studying communications uh, or journalism or creative writing, it's more likely that you'll end up being a freelancer or you may go and work at a think tank or you may end up be, uh, you know, working, you know, doing press releases for conservative politicians or something like that. You might end up on the other side of the ledger, right? Because there, there aren't very many options for you in the mainstream press. It's just You're, you're just not going to get hired over somebody who has another set of values that are opposed to yours because most of the people in that industry agree with them and not you. So, <clears throat> so conservative radio, on the other hand, talk radio specifically is dominated by conservatives. And it's, for a bug, it's been a bugbear. It was a problem under the Obama administration. I don't even remember... The Obama administration brought in this rule that said all radio stations have to have 50% each each political view, right? So if you run a conservative radio station, 50% of your programming must now be liberal instead of conservative. It was called something like the Broadcasting Fairness Act or something like that. I could be wrong, but it's something like that, right? That was a direct attack on the bastion of conservatism, which is talk radio. And if you look at all the top rating talk radio personalities and networks, it's all conservatives. Liberals don't listen to talk radio. Liberals don't care about talk radio. It's just not something they do. Every now and then you'll find a successful liberal who does a talk radio show, but they're, they're very few and far between. So to get rid of like conservative talk radio would be a dream come true for a lot of liberal people in the press, right? Because... It's its own ecosystem. It has its own economy. They, they buy and sell their own products. They have their own personalities. They have their own celebrities. And it's an untapped, like it's something that the liberal corporate media can't penetrate. They can't get in there. It's just owned by the personalities and the people in that ecosystem. And it fucking drives them nuts because they can't do anything about it. So if you, so Rush Limbaugh is like the, the talisman of this whole empire, right? So there would have been a lot of people jumping for joy when they heard this news. And of course, if he gets like some kind of honor, like some kind of medal, and again, I agree that the medals are pretty much fucking bullshit now. Like I don't really care. But any kind of recognition of this universe is going to drive these people fucking nuts because of all the things that I just explained, right? So I'm not surprised that Brooke's salty. Uh, I am surprised that she's salty to the point of doing this segment on her show. <laughs> Limbaugh <clears throat> announced this week that he is fighting advanced lung cancer. But what happened last night wasn't about Limbaugh's health. It was about the president's decision. First Lady Melania Trump presented him the medal during the State of the Union address. And just for some perspective, Limbaugh now joins a list that includes Helen Keller, Neil Armstrong, Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Rosa Parks. <laughs> <laughs> See, even though I think that the award's bullshit and doesn't really matter anymore, the fact that Rush Limbaugh is now on a list with Mother Teresa and Rosa Parks, to me, like, again, because I don't particularly care, it makes me laugh knowing how much that's going to fucking annoy people like Brookville. <laughs> it's worth it now. You know what I mean? I don't care about the medal. 
But I love the fact that people are going to be upset that Rush Limbaugh's name is next to fucking Rosa Parks in terms of receiving this prestigious award. <laughs> and they're going to say, oh, well, he doesn't deserve it. I'm going to be like, yeah, probably. But you know what? It's funny. How can you say that? How can you agree with this? How can I agree with it? Because fuck you. That's why. That's the only reason I need. Fuck you. That's my reason. <laughs> what? Do you hate Rosa Parks? No. Do you like Rush Limbaugh? No. But fuck you. I don't like you. <laughs> so if it's worth him having this now just because you hate it. It's beautiful. Robinson, Mother Teresa. See, McRae in the chat. I love that she is pissed about this. Exactly. That's my point, right? Me too. This is, this is amazing to me. I love this. All of a sudden, like, I didn't care about the award. I didn't care about Rush Limbaugh getting the award. I didn't care about the medal. I didn't care who'd previously won the medal. But now, thanks to Brooke's saltiness, now I'm a fan. Now I'm like, wait, I love this fucking medal. Well done, Rush. Good for you, buddy. You're on the list with Rosa Parks. They, they can't help it. They're so annoyed. They're salty. They're screaming about it. Now I think it's great. Olivia Zell, Rosa Parks, Pope John Paul II. <laughs> Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou. <laughs> And while, of course, this award has always involved politics and the personal favorites of various presidents, mm. this selection takes it to- This one's worse than all the others. <laughs> a whole new level. It's a new Limbaugh level. Limbaugh has made his name on division, yeah. using insults and offensive rhetoric to oh. build a brand. He's been offensive sometimes. Mm. Let me just play for you a sampling story. Please do. Please do. I hope they've got actually genuinely offensive stuff to play. With the attack of a college student who advocated for insurance companies to cover birth control. What does it say about the college co-ed Susan Fluke? Who goes before a congressional... I hear the music in the background. Bit of sledgehammer. Peter Gabriel. ...committee and essentially says that she must be paid to have sex. What does that make her? <laughs> uh, a whore? It makes her a slut, right? <laughs> I was close. It's a prostitute. She wants to be paid to have sex. Okay. Ms. Fluke. And the rest of you feminazis, here's the deal. The feminazis. Yeah. And I've got word, I've got news for you feminazis out there in the libtard snowflakes. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> We are going to pay for your contraceptives and thus pay for you to have sex. We mm. want something for it. And I'll tell you what it is. Your vote. We want you to post the videos online so we can all watch. This is my... <laughs> Why doesn't this man deserve a medal for this? <laughs> J. Fox, he's got Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease. And it's, in this commercial, he is exaggerating the effects of the disease. He is moving all around and shaking, and it's purely an act. This is the only time I have ever seen Michael J. Fox portray any of the symptoms of the disease he has. We're witnessing racism all this week uh, that led up to the uh, inauguration. We are being told that we have to hope he succeeds, that we have to bend over, grab the ankles, bend over forward, backward, whichever, because his father was black, because this is the first black president. We've, we've, just, we've got to accept this. Could we see... That says a lot. See, that the, the way that they put that clip in there, what he's saying about Obama, that, like, that was happening. That was obviously happening, wasn't it? Like, I'm not wrong here, am I? Like, I'm happy to be corrected. But I'm pretty sure, like, there was a lot of people basically saying what he just said then. Like, no, you have to support him because he's the first black president. It was pretty well known. Like, if you 
if you at, at, at any, any point, if you came out and said that you did not support Barack Obama, the first accusation was always, well, you must be a racist then. Like, that's pretty common knowledge, isn't it? And I'm sure that there was a lot of like social pressure and stuff for people to, you know, get behind the first black president because, you know, I'm not racist, you know. But like that's that was pretty well known, right? So I don't think that's like some kind of controversial offensive comment. But I love the fact that they put it in there because it shows you exactly what kind of mentality you're dealing with, right? The person who put this montage together thought that was an offensive comment. See? Like, there's nothing really offensive about what he just said there, that people are being told that they have to support Barack Obama because he's the first black president. There's nothing offensive about that even remotely. Not even close. But for the person working at CNN in the production room who put this montage together, that was bad enough to go on, like, a highlight reel of, quote-unquote, the worst things that Rush Limbaugh's ever said. So that illustrates perfectly the kind of mentality you're dealing with here, right? The unhinged people. <laughs> the cute kid. Let's take a look. See who is the cute kid in the White House. No, 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 no. That's not the kid. That's that's the kid. We try to. Yeah. <laughs> Salty Brook. <laughs> Oh, no, Salty Brook. <laughs> Look at that face. That face, is, it's like a picture that tells a thousand words, huh? <laughs> got, to, got to go back and see it again. <laughs> oh, Brook. Oh, come on, Brook. Come on, it's not that bad. Oh, oh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the salty Brooke Baldwin. Ah, oh, look at the pursed lips. The pursed lips, you know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> love it. I love it. This is worth it. Give him another fucking award. <laughs> Limbaugh did later apologize for some of those remarks. John Avalon <laughs> is back with me. And by the way, it was 10 some. years ago this month that yeah. you wrote Wingnuts, right? So Hard to believe. what did you make... Hard to believe. Last night. Look, that was a classic uh, pander in real time by a reality show president to a key <laughs> constituency, right wing talk radio. And he did. <laughs> it's like CNN is against pandering now. <laughs> Fucking give me a break. That a lot. You know, there, there were, you know, you got a car, you got a car, you got a car for all different constituencies mm -hmm. we saw last night. It was affecting because, of course, Rush Limbaugh announced just a few days ago that he is battling advanced lung cancer. Um, and we should say that we all should wish him well in his battle against cancer. Yeah. Again, it's the, the little things like you might think I'm making too much out of this, but you know, I don't, I like, I'm not trying to light um, McRae up or anything, but McRae, for example, if you're the same McRae I'm thinking of on Twitter, uh, and if you're not, then please feel free to correct me. Uh, but 
if you're the same one I'm thinking of, McRae is an author, right? McRae is a professional writer. So McRae will get this like I get this, you see. He didn't say we do wish him all the best. He said we should wish him all the best. And you might say, well, come on, that's you, you're going a little too far, you're reading too much into it, but no. These people, they show themselves in... Remember, we talk about it all the time. They think in spin. <clears throat> They're programmed to speak a certain way. And that's just like another little clue. That's like another little hint of what, what drives them. So the insertion of that Rush Limbaugh clip of him talking about everybody has to accept Barack Obama, that shows you what they define as offensive, right? Him, this guy just then, the way he said that, you know, a, a genuine person, a real person would say, look, I don't, if you don't like, if you're this guy and you don't like Rush Limbaugh, you would say something along the lines of like this. Hey, look, I'm no fan of Rush Limbaugh. I think the guy uh, is, a, is a horrible person like, and I hate everything that he's ever said and I disagree with him 100%, but I absolutely, without any equivocation whatsoever, I wish him a full and speedy recovery because Battling cancer is a horrible thing and nobody should ever have to go through it. It's not that hard, right? Because you're being a genuine person. If you genuinely believe that, that's what you would say, something along those lines. But if you're not, if you don't genuinely believe it, and instead you just need to virtue signal for the sake of um, perception, you would say something like this instead. Rush Limbaugh announced just a few days ago that he is battling advanced lung cancer. Um, and we should say that we all should wish him well in his battle against cancer. Yeah. Right. Again, you can say I'm reading too much into it, but I don't know. Things like that for me show something. Like it's somebody showing themselves. It's indicating something else. So <clears throat> He doesn't wish Rush Limbaugh a recovery from lung cancer. He thinks people should. There's a big difference, right? Um, I want to show you this. I would never normally do something like this. So please, if you'll if you'll be patient enough to allow me this, I want to do a little victory lap if I can. <clears throat> so uh, not everybody watched the State of the Union address with us. So, you know, we've got viewers right now on YouTube and Periscope. Hello to the Periscope viewers and the YouTube viewers. Uh, so you wouldn't have seen this. This was on DLive only. We, we covered the State of the Union address. And I've just gone to the end of the broadcast we did that night where Nancy Pelosi, as everybody now knows, uh, Nancy Pelosi ripped up the speech, right? So I'm going to show you what we said as it happened, as Nancy Pelosi ripped up that speech. And then we'll, we'll flash forward, you know, 24 hours and see if we were close to what, what would happen in the future, all right? So this is on the night as it happened. But then again, I, di I did put the caveat at the start. They don't generally do the partisan thing. Thank you, Joanne. She did. She she tore up the speech. Kimmy saying, "Have to see this." Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, look at that! Oh, what a sourpuss! <laughs> and and see through the magic of um. <clears throat> playing this old clip that just gave me a, a few seconds to get up and grab another beer and unbeknownst to the audience got away with that one 
You know why she's doing that, though, right? She's trying to get her TV moment. She's trying to get the, the moment. They won't play any of the speech at all. They won't play any of the sound bites. They won't do any of the clips. Look at her, throw it on the desk. They will talk about, for the next 24 hours, she needs to give them something else to talk about, right? So she's torn up the speech and made a big spectacle out of it. So now CNN and MSNBC and The Post and The Times will be writing about Nancy Pelosi's defiance. She defiantly tore up the speech to prove that she's a powerful woman. You know this shit. You know the way this is going to go. She had to give him something to talk about, right? She had to get her little superhero moment. So, yeah. I thought... All right? That's what we said on the night. We're back live now. Okay, so that was a clip from the other night. Let's see how close we were. <laughs> Let's see if we were. Let's see if we got the ball near the pin. All right. Let's see if we got the ball near the hole. Let's see if we can one putt this. <laughs> Should I show you this first? Okay. Let's do Brian first. Let's see Brian Stelter's hottest of fucking hot takes. Remember what we said. Nancy Pelosi ripping Donald Trump's speech may not have been planned, but it was effective. <laughs> House Speaker Nancy Pelosi shredding Pelosi's, pardon me, shredding of President Trump's State of the Union speech was ripped right from Trump's playbook. It was an unprecedented behavior for a speaker, aggressively rude and unapologi uh, unapologetically meant to rile up her base. It was divisive but effective. The tear seemed to get as much morning TV attention as the content of Trump's speech. Again, Brian Stelter unironically referring to his own network as if it's just some, like, some kind of organic thing that took place. Instead of her ripping the speech to get attention and then him saying, as he works for the network that's giving her the attention, saying, the network just seemed to give her attention. It seems to have worked. <laughs> like they, they really do treat their audience like fucking morons. Conservatives denounced her disrespect. Liberals praised her passion. Both sides were incentivized to heap attention onto the moment. It took the Democrats three years, but they may have finally figured out how to control a news cycle in the Trump era. So it seems like, if I'm being fair here, one boogie bumper one, people who, I don't know, somebody else, <laughs> I don't really have an opponent in this game. <laughs> Just boogie bumper one, one nil. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Uh, this is. Uh, let's do this video. Let's see if we got close here. CNN, ladies and gentlemen, talking about Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech. Remember, uh, we said as it happened, she's doing this to get her TV moments. So they will talk about her and ripping up the speech and how defiant it was instead of what Trump said. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you very much. Like, you could, she waited until he was standing in front of her to do it as well. That's no accident. Because she knows the camera is going to be on her. When she ripped it, she looked up at the camera in the balcony. When the speaker who has admonished her, her caucus on more than one occasion to, um, you know, 
present themselves with, with uh, you know, decorum and so on and so forth. She was just angry. She ripped up the speech. She ripped up the speech. I was just uh, texting with a source close to her who said, I know this is probably a little obvious, but that was not planned. That was, that was an emotional moment. That was. Dana. Dana, Dana, Dana. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. How could you? Oh, it wasn't planned. I spoke with a source close to her. <clears throat> And she says that it wasn't planned, that that was purely emotional. Uh, okay, great. Uh, allow me to just, if I may, <laughs> CNN, they can just make it so easy, don't they? Nancy Pelosi pre-ripped pages of Trump's SOTU speech video shows. Okay, so let's see this unplanned uh, emotional outpouring, which absolutely was not planned at all whatsoever. Let's have a look. There she is. She's picking it up. She takes the pages down below the desk and pre-rips them, clearly on, on camera. And this was probably about halfway through the speech, I think, that she did this. Right there. There it is. Pre-planned. 45 minutes later, she would stand up and tear the speech in half after she gave it a little start. Like when you, when you just tap a nail to get, like, to get the nail started when you're hammering a nail, right? Same thing. She just gave it a little start, and it's right there. But not, not according to CNN, ladies and gentlemen. In the world of CNN, no, no, I spoke to a source. No, you didn't. If you spoke to a source, they lied to you, or you're lying now. That's the only two things that could have happened. So either your source sucks and is a terrible source, or you suck, and you just make shit up. So which one is it? It doesn't matter, really, because either way, whichever one of those things is true, whether the source is terrible or the journalist is terrible – the outcome is the exact same. It, both of them mean that you're a shitty journalist. Because these journalists will often say that they're only as good as their sources. So, okay, then if your source is terrible, then you're terrible. Oh, no, my source is great. I made it up. Okay, good. You're terrible. <laughs> so you're fucked either way. So, they, again, they're just making shit up. But it, it, to show, like, she was angry. She was defiant. And it was she did it specifically to get on TV so the panel shows would have this conversation. We said it at the time. Thank you for the Diamond Winning TV. Follow Winning TV on dlive.tv slash winning TV, ladies and gentlemen. My good friend, the Yankee, Phil D'Angelo. was a, a genuine uh, reaction to what she just heard well, the president do. She ripped do. it up and then she oh, threw and, it. And she threw, threw it, it down. And yeah. there are lots of reasons for that. Well, I mean, just <laughs> on the substance of it, one of many reasons, she would argue, is because of what you just said I, uh, about health care. Yeah. Um, him telling the American people in the world that he thinks that pre-existing con conditions should he's, be... He's going to guarantee it. It's a guarantee. Should be guaranteed when, when he is, in fact... See, it's justification now. This is, so this is all just justifying why she did it. She was right to do it. She was well within her right to do it. She, again, I don't care if she did it or not. I thought it was what it is. A, a cynical, pre-planned move to get her as the conversation instead of him, right? Oh, how look at Nancy. Look at how angry she was. In court, uh, fighting uh, to, to take it to away. Dismantle, yeah. uh, dismantle Obamacare. I was at a meeting with her and with uh, Chuck <sighs> Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader today, and they predicted that he would do exactly that. <laughs> but we predicted you would do exactly this. <laughs> here it is again. From speech night. I'm just taking a little victory lap here. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. 
Oh, look at that. Oh, what a sourpuss. <laughs> you know why she's doing that, though, right? She's trying to get her TV moment. She's trying to get the, the moment. They won't play any of the speech at all. They won't play any of the sound bites. They won't do any of the clips. Look at her throw it on the desk. They will talk about, for the next 24 hours, she needs to give them something else to talk about, right? So she's torn up the speech and made a big spectacle out of it. So now CNN and MSNBC and The Post and The Times will be writing about Nancy Pelosi's defiance. She defiantly tore up the speech to prove that she's a powerful woman. You know this shit. You know the way this is going to go. She had... Give yourselves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, because we absolutely fucking nailed these people to the wall. <laughs> they are more predictable than Sunrise. And like I've said a million times on this uh, pissy little podcast that nobody cares about, which is fine by me. <laughs> uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once, you, once you're in that, that groove of how these people think, you'll, you know what they're going to do before they know what they're going to do. Thank you for the diamonds, guys. Much appreciated. Once you once you pick up their programming, once you know how they think, you can put yourself in their spot at any time, and you'll know what you you know what the headlines are going to be tomorrow, and you know the way they're going to spin it because they're very because they're programmed because they are unthinking drones. There are no surprises with these people. They never they never pull a cat out of the bag. You know what I mean? They stick like shit to a blanket to a set of predetermined outcomes and conclusions and everything feeds into that matrix. Uh, Ezra, Ezra Levant, who runs Rebel Media in Canada. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Ezra Levant or Rebel Media. I don't, I don't really care either way. Sometimes they do good videos. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, fuck this. But this isn't really about him. He tweeted this out the other day, which feeds perfectly into what we were just talking about. Um, the Trudeau, who was this guy? He's a cabinet minister, but he's, I think he's like the minister for the heritage or something, whatever the fuck that is. I, I would have thought that was old buildings. I, I, don't, I don't know why the heritage minister, is. he cares about, you know, media. I, wouldn't that be a communications minister normally? But I don't know. Canadians are a little fucking strange in the head. They're touched in the head. <laughs> Shout out to our Canadian listeners. I love you. Hello, cold. Hello, cold Australia. This is hot Australia. Hot Canada down here. Cold Australia up there. Easy to remember. Uh, so this is the minister responsible for the media, for whatever reason that is. Uh, he was on a TV show and Ezra Levant uh, tweeted this out, this clip. Uh, this is utterly fantastic. So how will this work? How are you going to regulate websites? How are you going to register all that? Are you? Do you buy these recommendations? Well, the, I mean, the re one of the recommendations, so you're talking about a, a couple of different things here, but as far as the licensing is concerned, is if you're a distributor of content in Canada, and obviously, you know, if, if you're a, if you're, if you're a sm very small media organization, the requirement probably wouldn't be the same as if you're Facebook or, or Google. Um, uh, so there the, 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 the would have to be some proportionality uh, uh, embedded into this, but we, we would ask that they have a license. Huh? So it'll be proportion. There will be proportionality embedded into it, which is 
uh, a sentence that a politician would use when they're trying to think of something real to say and they're just trying to kill time so they fill the air with words that don't actually mean anything. Proportionality. <laughs> there would be some proportionality embedded. What the fuck does that mean? It's, I've used this example before. There's a, a tunnel in Sydney. Like, it's a, it's a toll road. And it's one of those tunnels when you drive in it if there's some kind of like traffic accident or some kind of event in the tunnel and half of the, like there might be a lane closed or something. It's one of these tunnels where an announcement will come on your car stereo. Like they broadcast to your radio. Right. And so I'm driving, like management speak drives me fucking nuts. I can't stand it because I hate, you know, again, because I do this, right. Because we're watching these clips and stuff. You, you know what these people are doing when they make up these ridiculous sentences. Like they're just killing for time. They're trying to obfuscate some, you know, some nasty reality. They're trying to make something sound better than what it actually is. Like this is the purpose of language. George Orwell's famous um, essay called Politics in the English Language essentially makes the case that uh, all political speech is um, a tool used to make the grotesque seem acceptable. You know what I mean? So like bombing uh, bombing a village won't be called bombing a village. It'll be called something like neutralizing a threat. You see my point? So I'm driving in this tunnel and it, <laughs> this comes on the radio. Now, if I'm, if I'm running the, this tunnel and I want to get a clear message to people driving in the tunnel that there are workers in the lane, there are workers in the first lane, so please merge to the middle lane. That's what I would say. Attention drivers, please lower your speed. There are workmen in lane one. Please prepare to merge to lane two. Done. What's so hard about that? Everybody understands that. But that's not the message that comes over the radio in the tunnel. Instead, the message that comes over the radio in the tunnel goes something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, please observe tunnel signage to facilitate safe work activities. <laughs> Please observe tunnel signage to facilitate safe work activities. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Just say, get out of the first lane. That's enough. That's all you need. No, no. We have to facilitate safe work activities. That's somebody with too much education doing a job that they ought not be doing. So when you see guys like this, he's saying that small websites who do news are going to have to essentially beg the government for the right to do it. That's, that's the way he should have presented it. Yes, if you, if you run a small media operation like one website, we are going to decide whether or not you are allowed to continue doing it. You are going to have to come to us for permission. That's the real way of saying it. Instead, he's saying, well, small websites obviously aren't as big as Facebook, so there will be proportionality embedded into the system. No, no, stop, 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 stop. You're, that's... You're trying to make something that's awful sound reasonable. Which again, like I said, George Orwell argued in that famous essay, politics in the English language is the point of political speech. So he had to come out and give a press conference because obviously um, very much to my satisfaction, a whole bunch of people were not happy with this, <laughs> with this uh, equation that was being put to the people of Canada that apparently the free press now has to be regulated by the state. <laughs> and I mean, if, if you're somebody who doesn't understand why 
state regulation of media means that it ceases to be the free press. Like if you if you don't understand why forcing people in media, like just even if it's one guy running a website, if you don't understand why forcing that guy to go to the state to get a license to do press is the exact opposite of the free press, then I'm afraid like, you know, I don't fucking even want you in this audience. You are too stupid. And I'm not smart enough to pretend to be dumb enough to explain it in a way that would make sense to you. So I don't even want you here if you, if you can't understand why that's not the free press. We do freedom here. And we, 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 we believe in the free press of free expression. If you think the state should regulate the media and decide who gets to do press and who does not and come up with a whole set of rules and conditions which the press must satisfy in order to get permission from the government to do media about the government, then you don't know what the free press is. Get the fuck out. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. See you later. You're too dumb to be here. <laughs> and, we're, and we're not even that smart, but you're too dumb to be here. <laughs> so this started like a, it started a chain reaction on the interwebs and in the press. And to be fair, to, to give credit to journalists, even people that you would think are really hacky, shitty journalists were coming out and saying, fuck this guy. That's not what we're doing. So I was like, thank God. Like, not all hope is yet lost. Journalists still had, you know, the people in the press still had enough self-awareness to say, oh, I think that's going a little too far. So good, good. <laughs> so he was forced to come out now and give an explanation. He was forced to try and walk it back, but he did the classic politician thing, which I hate. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to see is the problem with politicians. It's the problem with the political class. And the problem is when they get something wrong, when they are so far out of what is expected, when they are so far detached from reality, you've seen this scenario play out hundreds of times. All that changes is the particular topic that they're talking about. But you've seen this scenario play out hundreds of times. When they get exposed for being so far out of the realm of reality and so far detached from what their constituents want or believe or trust or what it is, whatever it is, it's never their fault. It's not their problem, right? They didn't do anything wrong. No, no, no. If they get exposed as being so far detached from reality that the entirety of the, pop of the population hates what they say, it's the population that's wrong. <laughs> You're going to see here, this guy, he's not going to say that I said the wrong thing when it comes to wanting media operations to be licensed by the state. He's going to say, no, no, no. Uh, the problem with that is everybody was confused about what I said. See, you're confused, you're dumb, you're ignorant. Have a look at this. Who asked you to come here today and oh, clarify I, I did that all by myself as a big boy. I mean, Why? clearly something... <laughs> He's already in a bad mood, isn't he? <laughs> Salty. This should be the Friday Salt Works. So many salty people on the show tonight, huh? I came here all by myself, I'll have you know, as a big boy. If I'm standing in front of this guy holding the microphone at that point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at him and go, what are you, a fucking idiot? <laughs> Aren't you a government cabinet minister? The hell are you talking like that for? <laughs> what 
I would say to him, what the fuck's wrong with you? Just answer the question. Like, why do you got to be a smart ass, man? Aren't you out? Don't you want us to help you here? Don't you want us to say that, you know, there was some kind of error in the reporting or something? Why are you being a smart cunt? <laughs> I came here all by myself. I'm a big boy. Okay, you're a big, you big boy. Okay, let's see. Here today, oh, and clarify. I, I did that all by myself as a big boy. I mean, why? clearly, some, pe some people, why? some people were confused. I, I could see that some people were confused about this particular uh, recommendation. I could see some people were confused. Again, he got panned for saying that media operations will have to get a license from the government. Do you want to see what confused people? Let's play it one more time. Let's see what everybody was confused about, okay? Into this, but we, we would ask that they have a license. Yeah. We would ask that they have a license, yes. The question was, will you require media operations to get a license from the government? Answer, we would require them to have a license, yes. People get outraged at this. People say that goes against the principles of the free press. People say you have no right to do this. You have no right to demand licenses from people. He calls a press conference and says, I'm here because clearly you're all confused. You're all stupid. You all got it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. You're dumb. You're the idiot. You're confused. These are just disgusting people. These are just shitty humans. Fuck him. I don't, I don't even care. I don't know the guy. <laughs> I don't know the guy. I'm not in Canada. I don't know if he's a good politician. I don't know if he comes up with policies that people like. I don't even care. This alone, this is enough. This is a shitty human being. <laughs> Sorry. That's all you need. It's a terrible human being. Some people, Why? Some people were confused. I, I could see some that people, some people... Some people were confused. It's not my fault. I could see. I'm so smart that I could see the people out there who were repeating what I said and saying that they don't like it I could see that they were really confused. They had a problem. They had an issue. They needed to be educated. That's how fucking intelligent I am. That's how good I am. I could see that they were confused. Fuck this guy. People were confused about this particular uh, recommendation in, in the report, so I felt it was important okay, to clarify what, what the clarify. report good says clarification on that topic is, is regarding those who produce cultural content cultural and it's around content. the issue of discoverability, which doesn't apply to media outlet, to news, uh, to, to news media. Uh, he's, he's, this, is, this is him clarifying. <laughs> this is a clarification in case you just tuned in. I, I hope you're less confused. <laughs> I hope you're being unconfused by this fucking jerk. <laughs> yeah, outlet. And I know Why I can, didn't you make can. that distinction yourself? You're the one that said we would have asked them to have a license, yes. I'm, I think I was pretty clear. And, and when I talked about... Yes, you were. You said we will require you to have a license. It was very clear. Extraordinarily clear. The report. I've no, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, everybody was fucking confused. Always talked about the fact that it was from <laughs> the gray in the chat. I'm even more confused. <laughs> dependent panel, and these were recommendations, and that we were looking at, you know, which which recommendations we might put put forward as part of a uh, of an upcoming bill. The minister has. Are you following all this? I came out here today to clarify because clearly people were confused. And, and at the end of that, I'm sitting here with my fucking jaw open. I, I don't even know what he's talking. I don't even know what language he's speaking half the time. 
This hasn't clarified anything. <laughs> Who are you? What is happening? <laughs> Fucking asshole. All right. I, I've been saying it all week that we would eventually get to this. You're on the Daily Boogie. Thank you for joining us on this Friday night edition. We're going overtime tonight because I've got one more thing I want to bring you here. Because I, I haven't watched this clip and I've been waiting to watch it all week with you to see just how manipulative these people can get. Because I, I you just know it's going to be manipulative. When you see the clip, when you see the name of it, you know what's coming. So we're going to watch it together. It'll be fun. It'll be fun, okay? Shut up and have fun. <laughs> Don't you go anywhere. <laughs> you stay right there. You stay right there and you stay on this channel because we're going to have fun like a happy family, goddammit. Again, I don't know why I'm yelling at you. <laughs> Who is this? Why am I listening to this? Why am I let Why is this man screaming at me? I didn't ask for this. I thought this was supposed to be fun. Why is he yelling at me? If you'd like to leave a tip for the show, dlive.tv slash boogie bumper or streamlabs.com slash boogie bumper. Thank you for joining. Uh, this was in The Guardian the other day. We must respond to Brexit with more than yelling. Good. That's a good first step, don't you think? It was like one of those New Year's Eves where you hadn't been invited anywhere or if you had, you couldn't get a babysitter. And I'm already thinking in the case of the author, so you just mean New Year's Eve then? <laughs> All of them. You just mean all of them, don't you, sweetheart? Come on now. Come on now. Come on. You can be honest with us. We won't say anything. It's okay. I'll, I'll come over if you want. Do you want to get together? We can have a drink. I'm not doing much on New Year's. Let's set it up. So I went to bed on Friday and woke up free of a set of trade agreements. I tried to feel something. Anything, really. This is, this is an author lamenting the fact that Brexit happened. <laughs> This is her. This is how she felt the morning after Brexit happened, which was a couple of weeks ago now on February 2nd. It was, it was a very tumultuous, emotional ride for her, obviously. <laughs> I tried to feel something, anything really, but nothing had actually happened. Until I looked at the media, of course. I continue to think that, like many things, a good chunk of Brexit is media confection. That's so ironic coming from The Guardian. Most people have lives. Don't at me about the chunk that isn't, the unsettled status of so many. When I looked at the media, I did feel things. Rage, mostly. <laughs> Already I'm, I'm excited. Rage? What? Yes. You, were, would you say you were outraged? Would that be something you would say? <laughs> I'm, I, I believe I shall read on. I did feel things. Rage, mostly. Sorry. But I don't want the likes of Ian McEwan complaining he is now one of the left behinds. If any of this was a revolt against the elite, it hasn't worked. The elites just won't stop eliting. Let's ship in Martin Amos to ventriloquize, uh, ventriloquize ugh, cockneys. I've had several arguments with my friends. Although we are basically on the same side, I don't want Brexit, but I always thought it inevitable. I don't like the nostalgia about the 2012 Olympics either, as the riots the year before are whitewashed away. <clears throat> I feel European, they say. But Europe has not gone away. No one says, quote, I am feeling really EU-ish, do they? 
All of this has left me bored to tears, even though I did a DNA test and I basically am the world. I don't even know what that means. But hashtag thick trended on Twitter. I wondered if after four years, the thick people won. How thick do you have to be to lose? But then the movement led by white middle-class blokes, the self-appointed leaders of the Remain People's Vote crew, was as bad as Corbyn agreeing to trigger Article 50. Or are all these people going to strop till they drop? What can people who think Brexit is terrible a terrible mistake do? Just hope for failure? <laughs> or maybe understand their own, which takes guts? The Union Jack waistcoats are as idiotic as the blue and yellow faces, these people could surely find common ground in a dressing up box. That's actually a good observation, I think. In this transition period, the accepted political wisdom is that we need an opposition that holds the government to account. Does that mean criticising every move that Boris Johnson makes as he enters the fantasy-free trade nirvana? <laughs> salty. It's salty. It's I'm, I'm picking up. I'm... Mm. Yep, I can taste salt. I'm getting a little salty. Are you getting that? I'm getting it. Love it. Getting an erection. <laughs> Their tears bring me joy. I'm a jerk like that. Fuck them. Does that mean criticizing? Oh, we read that bit. There has to be some attempt at consensus around certain areas. There has been so much sentimental tosh from both sides, from old Lang Syne to projections on the white cliffs of Dover. All of this has left me cold. You can tell me I'm heartless, but as politics is once more happening, pragmatism is called for around education, the NHS, the devastating cuts to local councils. And there it is. That's the line I wanted to leave this article on because this is the same. You'll recognize what's happening here, right? Look what Nancy Pelosi did the day after the State of the Union address, right? She did the her little ripping up the paper routine, which we predicted she did for the purpose of having the you know the panel shows on CNN and MSNBC talk about her ripping up the paper which is exactly what happened as we knew it would once she realized that it didn't go her way once she realized that this wasn't really playing out the way she thought it would did you see then she just started tweeting and talking about healthcare like out of nowhere right i know you noticed it too cuz i know you guys think like i do you're you're just as cynical as i am <laughs> I saw that first tweet come out where it was like something like Donald Trump has no health care plan. That was that was the tweet. And then there was another tweet. Americans demand better health care. And I'm like, oh, so we're back doing health care again. Huh? That's what these people do. And to be fair, it's probably the correct thing to do. If you're Nancy Pelosi or if you're, you know, somebody at The Guardian who who just lost big time on Brexit. You have just been embarrassed. You, your whole cause for staying in the EU has now been shattered. So what do you do? You reframe, you reposition, and you go after the next thing. You don't actually ever acknowledge that you lost. Ever. You never acknowledge that you might have got something wrong. In those moments where you are proven to have gotten something wrong, where you have been proven to go against the will of the people, in a political sense, in a political context, you never admit it. You just change tack and then you sail off in that direction instead. 
never acknowledging that you got that particular issue wrong. Because if you, if you acknowledge that you got the particular issue wrong, why are they going to believe you the next time you say something? So they just move on. So Nancy Pelosi just started tweeting about healthcare and then like, like fucking clockwork. Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, they just start following it. They follow the scent. So then they start talking about health. Well, Nancy brings up a good point. What are we doing about healthcare, huh? What about the healthcare, huh? huh? Now, you know as well as I do that in the lead up to the 2018 midterms, for example, a whole bunch of Democrats in swinging purple districts won with very, very small margins of victory, largely because they disassociated themselves from the DC brand of the Democrats because people don't like Nancy Pelosi. Even Democrats don't fucking like her. She is literally the most uh, unpopular speaker on record of all time. You know, back in, what was it, like 2011, 2012-ish, around then, her, her um, approval ratings were lower than Adolf Hitler's approval ratings in Jewish ghettos. That's how low she fucking was. It's single digits. The most unpopular speaker of all time, Nancy Pelosi. She'll have that forever. She likes legacy. That's her legacy. So, you know, in the lead up to the 2018 midterms, a lot of these Democrats ran on moderate platforms. They disassociated themselves from impeachment. They disassociated themselves from the DC brand. And they ran on things like, we're going to fix healthcare. That's what I'm going to Washington to fix your healthcare. Now, I know all the arguments about Obamacare and, oh, it's bullshit and they're ripping us off. It's, that's not even the point. The point is they ran on these platforms about fixing healthcare and for whatever reason, People in those districts voted on that platform, rightly or wrongly. It's in the history books now. But what happened after they won the House? What happened after they won the House back? Did they fix healthcare? Have you even heard healthcare get mentioned? Of course not. Impeachment, 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 Russia, impeachment, Ukraine, Russia, impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. That's all they've been doing since they won the House back. Investigation after investigation, hearings, committee hearings, special investigations, the Mueller report, it's all been about impeachment. So what happens? Impeachment turns into an unmitigated clusterfuck of a disaster for them. It falls apart in their hands. It blows up in their face. It embarrasses, it pulls their pants down, right? It turns them into a fucking joke. So what do you do? There's an election around the corner. Guess what? This election is going to be about healthcare. No, it's not. You want it to be about healthcare because that's what you do. You try to make it about something else because you can't deal with the embarrassment of the loss that you've just been handed on the thing that you made it about. So these people do it all the time, whether it's about healthcare and impeachment or whether it's like this, Brexit. Because now this article is supposed to be, how are we going to learn from Brexit? They're not learning from Brexit at all. They're saying, well, I think the real issue here is, what is Boris Johnson doing about healthcare? Like, they're trying to just start the next conversation. So let's have a look at this clip. Like I said, I think we know how this is going to end up. I haven't watched this yet. This was Sky News in the UK. It's called, Why Did Labor's Red Wall Turn Blue? All right. Do you think that they're going to try and rewrite history here? Do you think they're going to try and reinvent the story? We know why Labor's red wall went blue for a number of reasons. 
First, some facts, right? There were seats that the Labour Party, which is the left in the UK, there were seats that the Labour Party had held for 80 fucking years that flipped to the Tories. There are seats that the Labour Party have never lost that flipped to the Tories in this election. It is literally, like on record, the most devastating and embarrassing election defeat for Labour of all time. That's how bad it is. People who would never dream of voting for Labour Party voted for, uh, pardon me, people who would never dream of voting for the Tories voted for the Tories. That's how bad it was. Another fact, we also know that Brexit is most was most supported. It was pushed over the line by Labour voters, you see. That's, that's the beautiful, like, ironic, delicious, juicy little nougari caramel centre to this, to this sweetie, right? This sweetie that tastes like ashes in the mouth of the Guardian and the Labour Party. But it's, it's delicious to me. It's like salted caramel. That's the beautiful innards of this chocolate, is the fact that the whole reason that Brexit worked was because of Labour voters. Labour politicians and Labour sycophants in the press in the UK pretend like that doesn't happen. They pretend like that's not the reality. They pretend that they're all on the same side and that side is pro-Europe, like being part of the EU. But we know for a fact that that's just a lie. It's just a straight out lie. And what happened in the election that just happened in the UK was a whole bunch of Labour voters who wanted Brexit were fucking angry at their party not supporting Brexit. So in comes a guy like Boris Johnson who makes his campaign one very simple message. Do you remember what the message was? His campaign slogan was, let's get it done. And of course, the corporate media mocked this message relentlessly. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's inane. It's so simple. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Because he didn't have to come up with like some uh, rhetorical wizardry to trick people. He just had to contrast himself against his opponent. And what was his opponent? What was their, what was their Brexit position on the Labour Party? It was... We think that maybe we could support another referendum because we're not quite sure if we want Brexit or not, but we don't really want to come out and say it because we know a large part of our voters actually want Brexit, but we kind of really don't. And the people in London who are a large part of our voting base as well, they definitely don't want Brexit. So we don't really support Brexit, but we kind of do, but we don't really want to say so. So we think we should have another referendum and we might have a vote on it. So if you vote for us, we might have more discussion about whether or not we should have a Brexit. That was, that was basically the Labor Party message. Like, I'm, I might be, you know, uh, sexing it up a bit, but that's pretty much what people thought. Versus, let's get it done. So how does this play out in the election? This is, this is what really happened. So how does that play out in the election? A whole bunch of Labor voters who support Brexit voted for the guy who said, let's get it done, as opposed to their own guy who wasn't going to do fucking anything about it because they wanted it. So let's see how Sky News, now that we know that this is what happened in the UK election, it's undeniable. If you are an honest person, you look at the data, you look at the way it played out, you can even look at the media reporting, you look at what people are saying, you look at the particular seats that flipped from uh, the Labor Party to the Tories, 
The analysis I just gave you about why this happened is fucking undeniable. It is obvious truth. It's obviously real. Spend five minutes reading about it and you'll come to the same conclusion. So let's see how the corporate media in the UK, let's see what their explanation is for why Labor seats that have been held for five, six, seven, eight, ten decades flipped from the Labor Party to the Tory Party. Clive Valley in Northumberland, election night's first shock result. When this seat turned blue, the die was cast. Boris Johnson wasn't just going to take Labour's red wall, he was going to wipe it out. <laughs> For seven decades, Blythe Valley has returned a Labour MP to Westminster. But no more. This old mining seat is Boris Johnson's territory now. And that land grab stretches from coast to coast. From Blythe to Blackpool South to Bury to Bishop Orton. Even Even the presentation there, again, it's subtle, but it's there. Land grab. It was a land grab, like, like Boris Johnson had, through deceptive means, stolen their stuff, right? Boris Johnson didn't convince, the people didn't choose on their own. It's, it always comes back to this mindset that these people have. Look at, it's a running theme in tonight's show, accidentally. I didn't plan for this. Look at Joe Walsh, right? Republican voters support Donald Trump because they have been brainwashed to do so. They give you no credit whatsoever. Like, And, you know, again, remove Trump out of the equation. Let's say voting for Donald Trump is the wrong thing to do. Let's just say that's true. They give you no credit for doing it. They, they don't even give you the credit of saying that you're making the wrong decision yourself. No, 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 no. It's not your fault. We're right. You don't even know you're wrong. You've been brainwashed. You've been tricked. You've been deceived. Look at the, the Canadian minister for the media license, right? Oh, no, no, no. People are confused. It's not my fault. You're dumb out there. You don't get it. You, you're confused about what I said. That's why you're angry at me. It's not because of me. It's because of you, your confusion. And look at this. Boris Johnson, he, he wiped out Labor's red wall. The land grab goes from coast to coast. Again, it wasn't the voters who decided to give Boris Johnson these seats. No, no. He took them. <laughs> He's taken them off the other party. He took them away. It wasn't the voters at all. It wasn't their fault. They don't know any better. They were tricked. Boris Johnson deceived them. You don't know. You're ignorant. You're stupid. You don't know any better. It's a constant theme that the, this is the way these people think. Auckland to Bolsover, and that's just the bees. Dozens of Labour seats turned Tory. Britain's political map has literally been redrawn. And the big question is, can Labour win their heartlands back? So, Peter, basically, I just need it... It's like, oh, like, literally just on my eyebrows like that. Yeah. Like, literally... What the fuck is this? <laughs> Shouldn't make-up be done before we go on camera? Shouldn't make-up be done before we do all this shit? Come on now. Yeah, I, you know, shut up now. There's one thing business owner Peter wanted from this election, Brexit. Well, there are times she thought it might never happen. Thank you for the ice oh, creams, yeah, guys. Much appreciated. Three and a half years down the line. I'm thinking, why have a referendum if you're not going to work on it and do it? When, when... Thank you for the 
uh, diamonds, ducks are eugenists. See, like that's a very common sense, common man answer, isn't it? Well, I'm thinking, why have a referendum if they're not going to do it? It's plainly obvious. In the mind of these media types, though, that's unacceptable. That doesn't make sense to them. They don't get it. Oh, no, no. No, you mean, no, no, there should be another referendum because don't you see that you've been brainwashed into believing utter nonsense by these deceptive, awful people that say I've got it wrong? Oh, no, I just thought that there was a referendum and uh, they asked people, do you want Brexit or not? And I want Brexit, so I voted for it. And it's so, you know, it's kind of fucking annoying. You know, we voted for Brexit and my guy didn't do it. So I voted for the other guy. (laughs) Boris Johnson's land grab goes from coast to coast. Here in the Midlands, this hardworking individual has been struck down by a case of brainwashing. You see, fake conspiratorial media and right-wing extremism has convinced men like Steve here at the hair salon that Brexit is actually in his best interest. So he has been, he has been wooed, he has been deceived into voting for something that he would never normally vote for. Obviously, he's been fooled, he's been tricked. Uh, no, I just voted for the guy who said he's going to do the Brexit because I want the Brexit. <laughs> when, uh, when they called the election, were you annoyed or were you glad because you thought it was going to get sorted out now? Well, yeah. Um, that's all I wanted. Just all the whole thing needed sorting out. Yeah. There you go, right? Like we said, Boris Johnson's campaign message, what was it? Let's get it done. Simple, to the point, what people wanted to hear. It wasn't stupid like the media said. No, it's very smart to just say what people want to hear, especially when you contrast it with, we might vote for another referendum because there could be a vote because we don't know if we should or not. And half of our voters want it and half of our voters don't. And we think we maybe should do it, but not in London, but maybe in the Midlands. And we don't know, maybe another referendum and then we'll have a vote if we should have a referendum or not. Maybe we shouldn't. (laughs) versus let's get it done. This guy who's probably voted fucking Labor for the last 50 years, he's probably voted Labor his whole life. His daddy voted Labor and their daddy voted Labor and their daddy voted Labor. Yeah, but I wanted Brexit and this guy said he's going to do it, so I voted for him. (laughs) It makes too much sense for the corporate press to be able to compute. It's not convoluted enough. It's not extravagant enough. There There isn't a an ambiguous enough explanation. This doesn't make sense to them because it's too straight to the point, because it makes sense. It's perfect. He's a good hairdresser too. I'm, I'm Fucking reborn. give this guy a plug. Thank you. <laughs> there was only one man Peter trusted to get Brexit over the line. Alan Shearer? And did you vote Conservative this time? Yes, then? I did. Hi. It's the first time I've done it. I and fucking told you. I told you. Again, I haven't watched this. I'm watching this for the first time with you. First time he's ever voted for the Tory party was this election, just like we said. It's not hard. This isn't hard to figure out. They're doing documentaries. What happened? How did we lose all these seats? I don't understand. Why did these people stop voting Labour? I don't get it. What did we do? What's going on? No, it wasn't us. It's the voters' fault. They're ignorant. <laughs> it's the voters who are to blame. They're stupid people. They don't get it. It's their fault, not ours. 
Fuck these people, man. I was just fed up. It's fed up. I was sick. Had enough. Fuck them. Had enough. Voting for the other guy. And I thought, if anybody's going to get with out, Boris Johnson will get with out. How important to you was the fact that Jeremy Corbyn led the Labour Party? Was that a problem for you when you were thinking about how to vote? An empty bite. Look, look at the way they're framing this guy. So they have to show the beer mirror. Right? And then look Corbyn what it goes to next. Party. Was that a problem for you when you... And they put it in like the hazy half-focusing. Look, an empty bottle of Jack Daniels. Well, clearly this guy is a peasant bottom-feeding piece of shit. He's a drunk. He's dumb. Right? Look at the fucking... The subconscious little triggers that they have to put in there. So it makes sense to them. Why not just sit him down in a chair and talk to the guy? No, no, no. Let's get a shot of the empty Jack Daniels bottle on the counter. Can we, please? Can we do that? Piece of, they're garbage. These people are human garbage. You were thinking about how to vote. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't like them. And I just thought... You and, and you know the, the beautiful part about this? I see the empty bottle of Jack Daniels and I fucking like the guy even more. <laughs> I don't think hopeless drunk. I don't think low life. I don't think piece of shit when I see an empty bottle of Jack Daniels. I think, hey, here's a guy I can talk to. He's a real person. <laughs> no. Same as Prime Minister. Oh, no, no. Like I say, I wouldn't let him run the bus, never mind the country. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't let Jeremy Corbyn run a bus, let alone a country. Business here too. It's 105 tonnes, yep. Brendan founded a manufacturing company here in Blythe. He thinks the region has more to offer. So you quite liked Boris Johnson's message about unleashing Britain's potential. You thought that that was maybe the right way to go. We had a vote on Brexit. It is what it is. Uh, we need to move on. Um, and I think the key importance for us as a company and for a region is, I think, just about ambition. Mm. And we have a huge amount. Uh, we can either decide to look back to the past or we can look forward to the future. We've got a huge amount to get. I hate those cliches. Well, we've got to look forward to the future. The other guys want to take us back to the past. I fucking hate that kind of stuff. But uh, what he's saying about um, optimism, right? That's that's a thing. Uh, have you ever heard of the term behavioral economics, right? So, for example, right? So why do people buy something... Why do people buy something at 99 cents? Like this is the example that everybody uses. So why would people buy something at 99 cents? And, but it's a shitty, it's a far worse product than the thing that costs a dollar, right? It's because it's 99 cents because there's something in you that thinks that you're getting, you're saving money, right? And it wouldn't even matter if in the long term, uh, you're, it's costing you more because you need to buy more of this trinket because it, it doesn't last as long. That doesn't matter. The price point differential matters in the minds of people. So behavioral economics is the study basically of why economic models and people who analyze free market stuff, why it's not based on rational decision making. Because you see like with uh, The Wealth of Nations, which was written by Adam Smith, which is like the Bible of capitalism, Economic models are more often, well, for the longest time, have been based on the assumption that everybody operates on self-interest. Everybody is a rational decision maker. Like every agent in this system is a rational decision maker and they make decisions based on rational self-interest. But that's not true. People don't make rational decisions based on self-interest. 
emotions play a big part in economics and that's what behavioral economics is, is the study of that, of the real factors that cause uh, economic dips and, and rises and stuff because people will make you know, irrational decisions not based on self-interest. They'll make decisions based on the color of the packaging. They'll make decisions based on, you know, if it's 99 cents versus a dollar. They'll make decisions like if it says uh, fat-free on the label or not, right? It's all of this other stuff. So ambition, right? Um, incentive. If you say to somebody... If you've got, like, just say you're talking to somebody who is poor, right? They don't make a lot of money. And you say, look, um, this stock over here is going to be worth, uh, this stock, they're doing tremendous things, right? This, this company over here is developing a fantastic thing. It's going to change the future. It's going to be amazing. But the company's worth nothing. But based on the fact that you're saying what it's going to be in the future, right, and with no evidence whatsoever, you don't even have to bring evidence. If you sell this, the future potential, like the aspiration of this company, if you sell its future profitability, then that causes people to fund it in the now without having any reason to do so, right? So that's an irrational decision, technically. They have no reason to believe that this company's stock is going to be worth money. But the fact that people start investing in the stock then causes people to believe in the stock, right? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? I'm probably butchering, like trying to explain it. The fact that people invest in this company causes, for, makes people invest in the company. And then that makes the company's stock worth something. It's not what they've actually produced. It's what the, pers it's what the investor thinks they can produce, that's why stocks go up, right? And that's why stocks go down because they think in the future it's not going to be worth as much. So if you, when governments and politicians, right, talk about like that, so that message that Johnson said, it's, it seems like a throwaway, a throwaway line. And Trump does this as well. Like there's a lot of shit about Trump that I don't like, but this is the stuff that I think he gets because he's a business guy. He talks about like in the future, like I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So in the future, it's going to be worth money to invest here because of the things that I plan to do. But just him saying that he plans to do it is enough for people to start investing because they're expecting something to change. But the fact that they're investing then manifests the, the scenario that he's saying into reality, right? So this stock over here is worth nothing. It's worth zero. But in a year, they're going to have a tremendous product. Okay, I'm going to invest in it. But now the stock's worth $2. And because the stock's worth $2, another guy says, hey, this stock was worth nothing. Now it's worth $2. I'm going to invest in it. And now it's worth $10. And then the next guy says, well, it was nothing. Now it was 2 Now it's 10 I'm going to invest in it. They might not even know what the fuck it is. But just based on projecting forward some kind of success, it creates the success. It makes it out of nothing. It manifests it into reality. Stuff like that fascinates me, how human beings work. And like, so Trump does it a lot and Boris Johnson is taking the same, like the same kind of approach. Let's unleash the economy. Like, what does that even mean to the average person? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it means. The technicalities of it don't matter because he's saying it, people will invest in it. And because people invest in it, more people will invest in it. And because more people invest in it, all of a sudden, 
it happens. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? I'm sorry. It's probably very boring for most people. Eyes, I can see eyes glazing over in the chat. Sorry, <laughs> just went way off track. Okay. A bit further south to County Durham, the key target seat of Bishop Auckland turned Tory too, emphatically. Sam's family have been here for over a century, their cafe a fixture of the local community. He saw this coming. I was a vote Labour. And the bottom line is... I was a vote Labour. This country voted to leave. It's going to be a bumpy ride. We accept that. But as a nation... Look, she's even dressed like a pretentious Londoner too. She's going up there to the heartland. She's going up to coal mining country, right? She's going up to coal mining country where blue-collar people are rough around the edges. They drink, apparently drink Jack Daniels in their own hair salon, leave empty bottles on the counter, right? But she's dressed like a pretentious London bitch who's on her way to some uh, play at the West End, you know what I mean? She's off to see a Midsummer Night's Dream after a Chardonnay and, and dinner at a fine seafood restaurant. And the bottom it's line like, is... no, dress for the part. Be one of them. Watered to leave. It's going to be a bumpy ride. We accept that. But as a nation, if we're all pulling together, that bumpy ride can get then get easier. Boris promised to deliver Brexit. He promised to deliver what the did. people voted for, what the people want. So that's why I've supported Boris. That's another thing too, right? What is Brexit? I see a lot of people saying, what is Brexit? Like, what is nationalism? There's an emotional aspect to it, right? There's an emotional part of this. So you can say Brexit is uh, the legal separation of the United Kingdom from the EU. Okay, that's fine. But people don't really think about what that means. So in real terms, it means the, the best thing that I can come up with in real terms, it means essentially the, the biggest thing is that uh, the EU can no longer instruct the UK to put in certain laws because that's what was happening previously. The EU was actually writing laws, which was deciding what was legal and illegal in the UK, which I think is a fucking hideous situation. No country should ever be involved in anything like that whatsoever. Government should be local and close to you. It shouldn't be, you know, over the channel in a different country somewhere with you having no opportunity to lobby or change it. So that's, I think, what Brexit means technically, right? But Brexit doesn't mean that to the guy who runs the hair salon. That's not what Brexit means to this guy who runs the cafe. That's not what Brexit means to, you know, the coal miner. For them, Brexit means I got my country back. For them, Brexit means something else entirely. So whatever Brexit is, it, it, it's almost irrelevant now because what the record shows is Boris Johnson promised to deliver Brexit and then he did. And people are going to try and like reframe it and read and manipulate it and mold it and try to say, well, that's what Brexit, Brexit doesn't mean this. It means this. It means that. It means that. But he won, he's won because for most people, they all have their own idea what Brexit is. And it probably, it's more probably emotional rather than technical. So 
with the big celebration and that's why they had the big celebration and because I saw people like on Twitter and shit saying why are they doing fireworks why are they putting light shows up for that reason because that's like a signal that's like the bat signal it's done it happened but nobody even really knows what that means it doesn't matter though in the minds of the population it's happened it's good enough it's done it's done he won and that's, that's all politicians want. They, they would much rather appear to be doing something than actually doing something. The promise of an oven-ready Brexit irresistible for many former Labour voters. Right? But Brexit just the starter. Voters want more. Now they've got a foothold in the North East to make it their own. But the only way they can make it their own is if they deliver in the, in the different constituencies. People here finding the tribalism of our politics distasteful. Were you finding all of the... <laughs> that's, that's funny to me, though. Remember, this is Sky News in the UK. People here find the tribalism of politics distasteful. Coming up after the break, why everybody who voted for Brexit is essentially a neo-Nazi who wants to lynch your black neighbour. <laughs> People, I discovered in the Northeast that people are sick of tribalism and they actually want both sides to come together. Coming up after the break, why everybody who's a conservative essentially wants to gut the innards of their homosexual neighbours. Why you shouldn't trust conservatives, because they're essentially genocidal white supremacists. After that, we'll talk about why people are sick of division. <laughs> Rowing back in Westminster Dreadful. was a... yes. Yes, it really is. They were like kids, really. Instead of all getting together like and kids. sorting it out. It's like a bunch were you of kids. surprised that Bishop Auckland was won by the Conservative? Let's just remember 8,000. I, I often think, imagine, like, imagine being like 70, 80 years old, right? <laughs> imagine being old enough to remember politicians like after World War II. And now, like, if you flip on the news, you see politicians saying, um, we, need, we need to give free abortions to transgender women. <laughs> Can you imagine the transition phase, their transition over the last 60 years? Like, they must, I don't know if people, I don't, I don't even know if, like, dementia is actually a thing or if <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the people, the old people with dementia are actually the same ones and we're all fucking crazy, you know, like looking through a two-way mirror. <laughs> Like, what, what fucking right do we have to call old people, uh, what right do we have to diagnose anybody with dementia when our politicians today are talking about we need to give free abortions to transgender people? <laughs> Maybe we're, we're the fucking lunatics, if anything. They must flick on the news and go, what, ha what happened? What is going on? Where the hell am I? <laughs> Fuck, I'll just watch The View. Very surprised, because yeah. we used to say if you put your sheep in and put labour on, it would get in. It's always been Labour. Yeah. As long as I can remember. What did you think of Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> Don't mention his name. <laughs> Don't mention his Don't name. Mention his name. What did you think of him? I don't think he was the right one yeah. for the Labour. Yeah. Do you think if they get the right leader, they could win? Brent Harris says, I can remember Malcolm Fraser. Does that count? No, he was terrible as well. Should <laughs> walk them back? Not very quickly. Not very quickly. No. We were very lucky in Australia that we had the, the, the two worst prime ministers of all time back to back. We got them out of the way, one and two. Number one, Gough Whitlam from the Labor Party, and then number two, Malcolm Fraser from the Liberal Party. We had one after the other. So we got them out of the way. That was good. 
Next door in Durham Northwest, another shop win for the Tories. Beautiful, so beautiful. beautiful countryside, isn't it, in England? The mines are long gone. People here are finding new ways to... Thank you for the diamond, Mr Gallego. As in, we live in a period, Mosley. Young Mosley. Make a living. You've got Anna Maria there. Anna Maria. You've got Anna Maria. It's a llama farm. I've got Tallulah greedy guts at the back. That greedy is it. Guts. Come on then. <laughs> Come on then, people. Look at me doing normal country people things. Shane says, "I'm one of you." From the realities of rural We life. live in a period. Are you surprised that the Conservatives? So, if we live in a period, does that mean I get free tampons now? <laughs> Isn't that the thing? I'd be in favour of you know what? I'd be in favour of free tampons on one condition. And ladies, let me tell me what you think about it because I believe in compromise. I believe in coming together. Let's make a deal, right? So, no, you're not getting free tampons without contributing anything for this, okay? You, you need to give us something back. How about we do this? I will happily support free tampons, free feminine hygiene products for females as long as you agree to never fucking bitch about having a period ever again. <laughs> I'll do that deal. I will sign that paper today. If I never have to hear about your period ever again then I will sign up and you can just have these fucking, you can have the pads delivered in a brown, in a nondescript brown paper bag once a month or whenever you need them. And like they will be delivered in the middle of the night and nobody will ever know. <laughs> if we never have to hear about it ever again, you can get the free tampons. That's a deal. This one I'm seeing a lot of deals in the chat. Beautiful. I love it. Actually, like they did. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> Henry St. George Tucker. Coming in the night. Free tampons equals forced labour in cotton fields. Just saying. <laughs> really? Um, I mean, I've always voted Labour all my life, but this year I, I, I didn't. They, they were saying they were going to promise this, that, and the other, and they were going to put more money into school services, national health, things like that. And when they were saying where it's going to come from, they couldn't possibly they couldn't possibly give you the money that they were promising for mm. all these little rural villages. And I think people have just had enough. What would you like for your community in the next five years? I want them to bring rural villages and rural areas. Kevin Gallego in the chat. Uh, quote, politicians are regarded as people who have learned to talk but not to act. Perfect. Perfect. Up to speed with 100% agree. Everybody else. Make sure that they have... Again, it's far better to be seen to be doing something than actually doing something. If you actually do something, you have to have you have to take responsibility for what you do. If you're just seen to be doing something, you get to have all of the praise and all of the pats on the back and all of the applause without actually genuinely contributing anything or risking anything. Got the, even just the basics. Labour unconvincing. The Tories too with much to prove. I think they're going to have to prove themselves in the next few years to yeah. see if... I think they're going to have to prove themselves. <laughs> see if they're going, they are going to uphold, you know, their, their policy. They, they, they don't really. They just have to be better than the other mob. <laughs> it's, it's a two-party system, you know what I mean? ...what they've put forward. Um, if not, then I think the people might go back and vote Beautiful. for Labour. look at that. The new MP here knows he'll have to build on his success if he wants to repeat it. Um, you know, this is never going to be taken for granted. This is never going to be a safe Conservative seat. I'm going to have to fight here every time for votes. And I think that's one of the things that's just changed here is that people can now see a, an MP it's, really fighting. It's, it's a victory, but it feels like a fragile victory. Is that... <laughs> you fucking tart. <laughs> I 
<laughs> this is again, again. We have to, we have to point out. This is like this is hours after the Labor Party has just been handed again their most humiliating, their most humiliating landslide defeat on record of all time. And she's like, so you won, but you didn't really win. <laughs> Get fucked. The, 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 conservative, the, the conservative MP, it's one of those things he has to agree with her. Because if he says, no, I'm really con-, like, no, no, it's, we're not fragile. We're kicking ass here. Then he looks arrogant. And it's like, oh, but this bitch. <laughs> They've just had their asses handed to them, the Labor Party. So we can see here when we talk to the new Conservative MP that even though it was a humiliating landslide defeat of epic proportions for the Labour Party, it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a win at all. <laughs> it was fragile. <laughs> I think, it's, it's a, as the Prime Minister said, some people lent us their votes to the election. Some people took a punt this time on the Conservatives, thinking, saying, Good will answer. you go forwards? Will you deliver Good for us? answer. And I think they're going to want to see that delivery in a few years' time. Good answer. I like him. Quick on his feet. Didn't, didn't give her that little rhetorical victory. Threw it back in her face. You can drive... Oh, those fucking windmills. ...west right across the Pennines and... <sighs> can I just have a little rant about the windmills? It's not about the birds flying into them. I don't, I don't really... You know, to be honest, I don't even fucking really care about the birds. Um, the noise... Yeah, I get the noise thing, but I don't live near them. The thing that annoys me most about the windmills, right, is the fact that the people who want to build the windmill, like, look at that image, right? Look at that pristine landscape, that beautifully manicured farmland. It's gorgeous, right? You'd love to live in a place like this. Look at it. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> but the people who want to build these windmills everywhere, they do so on the pretense that they're doing it to what? Save the natural earth, to save the beauty of the natural earth. Um, hello? hello. So wait, you're gonna protect the natural, you're gonna protect the landscape by destroying it? Like it's, it's like freedom is slavery, war is peace kind of shit, right? It's, it's illogical inverted logic. Oh, we need to protect the... We're going to protect the landscape by butchering it with these fucking hideous machines. <laughs> That's what annoys me. <laughs> I can't talk to people who say these things to me. If someone says to me, I believe we should be, build these windmills everywhere because I want to protect the earth. I want to protect the landscape by, by destroying it with these fucking hideous things. I, I just look at them and say, I have nothing to say to you. I'm like, okay. I just go, okay. All right. And they're like, do you believe in climate change? Are you a denier? I just say, no, whatever you, whatever you say, we'll just go with that. Because <laughs> you, can't, you can't have a rational conversation with somebody who says something like that. It's insane. <laughs> look, at, look at how fucking disgusting that is. You're protecting the landscape by destroying it. <laughs> Down to the sea without passing through Labour land. Labour land. six consecutive Labour wins, this time Blackpool South turned blue too. This That was a tongue twister. This time Blackpool South turned blue too. Consecutive Labour wins, this time Blackpool South turned blue too. I like that. <laughs> She's like popping some rhymes. 
this man worked on Labour's losing campaign. What Good. was the message you were getting back from voters? Yeah, he looks, looks, well, I mean, he I... looks like somebody who fucking lost, doesn't he? <laughs> he looks like a broken man. There's two things mainly. It was um, an issue of leadership, but also the, the Brexit issue, really. We couldn't get away, get, get away from it, really. From Blythe to Blackpool, voters turned Tory because they wanted a government of Prime Minister who can deliver. Yes, they turned to Boris Johnson because... But I, 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 you, you can just sense a big butt coming up, can't you? <laughs> ...of Brexit, but they also turned away from Jeremy Corbyn yeah. because of leadership. Yep, that's generally what happens, Einstein. When somebody, when a seat flips from one party to the other, it's generally because not only did they vote for the guy who won, but they also did not vote for the guy that they did not vote for. <laughs> I needed to study political science for four years to figure this shit out. He is then a prime minister, if you like, on probation with his new... He's on probation! <laughs> He's on probation. Okay, Mr. Okay, Mr. Disgusting Genocidal White Supremacist, we'll give you the job, but... <laughs> but we're watching you very closely, sir supporters but Boris Johnson now has the chance to turn a toehold in places like this into a real foothold if he delivers on those election promises. For now Mr Johnson's in the driving seat, Labour with a very long road back. But Brexit scrambled party political identities in this election and what turned from red to blue could easily turn back again. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The story of the most humiliating defeat for Labour on record in the UK. They lost seats that they've never lost before. They've lost seats that they've held for 80 years. The moral of the story is, well, who knows? Maybe they'll flip back. <laughs> Tremendous insight courtesy of the people of Sky News, ladies and gentlemen. A fragile non-victory that's on probation, which could reverse at any second now. Yeah. They, uh, they haven't learned a thing, have they? <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on this Friday night edition of the Daily Boogie podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, Thank you for your donations tonight on dlive.tv slash boogie bumper. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash boogie bumper. Subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to tell me about your fragile victory, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Uh, I'll be back Monday night with another edition of the Daily Boogie. No trust and verify again this week. Thank you, Winning TV. Thank you for the diamond, sir. Don't forget to follow our friends. Oh, Henry St. George Tucker. Dropping a Ninja Gini in my lap. Thank you so much, sir. Henry St. George Tucker dropping a Ninja Gini. I'm most undeserving. Uh, I'll be back Monday night with another edition of Daily Boogie. No trust and verify. Thank you to everyone who shared the show out. Um, thank you. Follow our friends at Real Person PLTCS, at ChrisMC44, at YSense at underscore, uh, at WinningTV, at UK Neil. Don't forget Mr. America, the Bearded Truth. Uh, 
Irrational Times was in the chat earlier. Follow Irrational Times on YouTube. Follow Joy of Pessy, Saturday night. Hulk Hogan movie, fucking double. I cannot wait for that shit on Saturday night. Joy of Pessy, dlive.tv slash Joy of Pessy. Anybody else I might have forgotten, thank you so much. I'll see you on Monday night. Until next time, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Opening the chest right now. Thank you.